Welcome, everyone, to the SmackDown 6 podcast. Today, we are covering No Way Out 2003. Very exciting episode of the podcast to bring to you today. And I am so glad to be joined on this journey as we talk about the SmackDown 6 era and this pay-per-view as a stop on the way to WrestleMania and as a stop on our way throughout this pay-per-view experience. Sorry, the SmackDown 6 experience. I am joined by Daniel Petapa of Punchboard Party on YouTube. Daniel, how you doing, buddy? Very good, Matt. How are you? Happy to be here. Happy to yeah. talk about some wrestling. Just to be clear, there is no way out of this podcast. I just want to be very clear about that. There's I no am way. not looking. I am not looking to get out, man. I, I am in. I am in it to win it. I love this stuff, man. I love I love your podcast. I love being on it. I love talking about SmackDown 6. SmackDown 5? SmackDown 6. It's still SmackDown Six in 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 theory. It's, you know, like kind of like I imagine it as this, this, there's this, the five guys, uh, you know, your your Eddie Guerrero, Chavo Guerrero, Ray, uh, Kurt Angle, and Chris Benoit, and then Edge is kind of floating above is like kind of like a heavenly ghostly kind of figure. Also, right, there. right, strange so with other dead people who are actually there, including a murderer. But I that's how I'm imagining this time <laughs> on the podcast. I think it's useful for people to imagine it that way. <laughs> yes. I feel like I don't often enough kind of point out, like, just to be clear, when, when I'm doing this podcast, I know what Chris Benoit did. D- not a fan of it. Don't appreciate that that happened by any stretch of the imagination. I want to be clear about that. But as I said on an earlier episode, I don't want to, like, flog ourselves every time we talk about him because it just that's not – we just can't, like, enjoy any of this that way. And I think you you are justified in being like, well, you shouldn't – it's unenjoyable anymore. It's like, that's fine. That's fine. I think that's okay. And I think there's also okay to be like, you know what? I'm just going to watch, you know, Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit and Brock Lesnar and Team Angle fight and enjoy it. It's like, just do that. Anyway. Well, I thought about that as I was watching that match. Because (laughs) the amount of praise and adulation that just emits from my being when I watch Chris Benoit. Right. um, And then I remember and I feel wrong. And then I just have to think, no, like, I am praising what this guy did in that moment and i just have to be okay with that because it just like he's incredible he's amazing and the fact that can we have some understanding around mental health yes and that he wasn't himself yes when and he steroids that crime. And, and chemical yeah. imbalances as well for sure yeah okay i think some people have a heart they, they they like when i see him doing a snap suplex i just think about what he did and i'm like but why though <laughs> like dude, like those dude, are not... dude, is that is that what he did is that, is that how he did the right. murder? It's like, we have a fairly interesting, we have a fairly good sense of what he did. Um, and it was not, uh, I don't know, promos in the back of the arena. But you know what? Okay. We, we've taken a, a little bit of a tangent here because we're talking about the 2003 edition of No Way Out, the February pay-per-view. Uh, this year, it emanated from the Bell Center in Montreal on February 23rd, 2003. And uh, we talk about buy rates on the pay-per-view episodes of the podcast here. Buy rate is this kind of magical number. I say with a, with a sparkle in my voice, a twinkle in my eye. It's a magical number that is, as far as I know, roughly is like, okay, if, if you took everyone who could buy a pay-per-view, this is the percentage of people that did buy this pay-per-view. So this is – I don't know if that makes sense to you. So if, if, it, was, if it was a five – I means 5% of everybody who could buy the pay-per-view bought it. That would be a ridiculous number, and the people who had that pay-per-view would do millions of dollars. So on this occasion – sorry, and just to be clear, that fluctuates because the number of people in 1985 who could buy a pay-per-view is very different from the number of people who could buy it today. I don't even know if it's up or down, and obviously now they have the WWE Network. They don't even do that anymore. I don't think you can buy pay-per-view separately if you uh, don't know anything about wrestling and you're a sucker. 
Um, or you're like a bar or something, maybe. I don't know. So this edition of No Way Out, 2003, it did a 0.95. And so I want to compare that against the year before's No Way Out and the year after No Way Out. And I'm only doing it – usually I do it like pay per view before. Uh, the problem is that you can't compare No Way Out to the pay per view before or after because you're comparing it to Royal Rumble or WrestleMania. And those don't tell you anything. Every year we'd be like, well, No Way Out did worse than Royal Rumble and far worse than WrestleMania or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That is – that's all you can do. So – 2003 edition No Way Out did a 0.95, so pretty much a 1. 2002 No Way Out did a 1.33, so that's okay. measurably better. I think objectively 33% better uh, as far as I know. If I have my math right on that. And that is the one where uh, the NWO came back. And okay. It came back. The set was was some uh, some trucks that were there. It was like I don't know what that symbolizes with the No Way Out thing. Uh, and then uh, the next year, No Way Out 2004, did a 0.5 buy rate. So Ooh. we're going from 1.33 to this year's 0.95 to next year's going to be 0.5. So the buy rate for the February pay-per-view is in a sharp descent. And I just want to say something about No Way Out as a pay-per-view period. And I'm going to ask your opinion on this, Daniel. I don't like No Way Out as a pay-per-view, like pretty much period at all. I think that Royal Rumble to WrestleMania is an exciting time. I don't like there's a stop-off in between. Uh, there are very few No Way Outs that have essential that are essential viewing in any way. They're filler shows. I don't like that you go from you're kind of building to WrestleMania, but you're kind of not building to it. Um, when you do title changes at No Way Out, it kind of feels like, oh, did you like you didn't, you didn't think of that like a month earlier, like Royal Rumble? Like you're doing you're building to WrestleMania with like a month's time. Like what are you doing? Um, I don't think the title has made a lot of sense. I like you know No Way. It's like I think they've started doing more Elimination Chamber stuff, things like that. But like before, yes. it's like. like why is this period like why is the 2003 edition of No Way Out called that? There's there's ways out. What do you mean there's no way out? There's no cage match. There's no hell in a cell. That's the only way that makes sense. Uh, you know, No Way Out 2000, hell in a cell. Perfect. I totally get that. I accept that as a favorite thing. Um, you know, I also say Final Four, the 1997 edition of it, uh, which has one of the, my favorite main events of all time in it, which is very different from what No Way Out becomes. That's a good show, at least for the ending of it. So that is my rant about No Way Out. A pay-per-view that I generally don't really like. And that doesn't mean there's no good matches on it. But I think the way that it exists, I don't like it. I wish they just had nine or, you know, eight or nine weeks between Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. Maybe in that midpoint, they do a really big show, not on pay-per-view, and they lead up to it there. Uh, I'm not claiming that it's something they would ever do or makes any sense or make them any money. Just to be clear, I'm just saying that on a philosophical kind of level, I wish they didn't do it. Daniel, your thoughts on No Way Out. Feel free to take me to task so i am contrary to you matt i really enjoy no way out as all right so okay moving on with the podcast uh, so we're gonna talk <laughs> sorry, sorry. so here's the deal about no way out yeah is because you just said that you would do a bigger show non-pay-per-view yeah. so there's obviously still a need for something to break up that amount of time between I- royal rumble and wrestlemania not really, but kind of. I think. But but what, you you've acknowledged to a certain degree that there might be something to that. I, you so know what? I rescind that then because I okay. I would be fine if it happened, but otherwise it's like just because I think the thing is that if you do something in between, you take the shine off of WrestleMania. Like the road to WrestleMania needs to be more of a big thing. You need the yellow brick road. They should have the WrestleMania sign at Royal Rumble. It should be smaller, and as the weeks go on, it should be bigger <laughs> until you get to WrestleMania and it's the set. That's an idea I just had. There you go. So so here here's the whole thing about No Way Out. Yeah. So No Way Out breaks it up, practically speaking. Just 
as a wrestling fan, because Raws and SmackDowns, they have matches on them, but typically they're larger story than they are matches. And so going not eight, nine weeks without a match showcase, which pay-per-views are, that's just a long time to go as a fan without having a showcase of matches. Right. If you're watching regularly. So right. there's a practical piece where I think a pay-per-view there makes sense. The other thing that I really like about No Way Out is the what-if factor that it brings to the table. Mm, okay. It's, a, it's that it's not necessarily that the title is going to change hands, but that it could. And so what I like about the Mystique is so-and-so has their title shot at WrestleMania against so-and-so. And then that person who's holding the title could lose the title and that main event could change. Right. And I just like that mystique. I like that the writers have the flexibility to use that if they want. And I have the advantage of loving No Way Out because my first encounter with a pay-per-view was fairly late. Uh, my mm. first encounter with No Way Out was 2009. Okay. And it was executed to perfection. So that's where they're starting to lean heavily on Elimination Chamber as the main right. draw for No Way Out. And then No Way Out will turn into Elimination Chamber in the future. Right. Um, and then they just start doing wonky things. But right. <laughs> now we have now we have Fastlane, the good old Fastlane. And, and, and sometimes Roadblock, if they want to throw in an extra big Man. review there. That, that to me is I I inexcusable. The fact oh. that they sometimes do two is just like, what are we doing? Yeah, it's insane. Oh my gosh. But what happened in 2009 was Elimination Chamber matches bookended the show, mm. and Edge was champion, and yes, and he entered the Elimination Chamber match at the beginning, and he lost the match within the first five minutes. Jeff Hardy pinned him, and then we have this like excellent showdown between Triple H and Undertaker, where Triple H then gets the strap. So that he can defend the strap against Randy Orton, who won the Royal Rumble, and their feud is heating up to a fever pitch. Right. So it was just like that feud needed the belt, and that was just a really great way for it to get it. And then, at the end of the night, Kofi Kingston is coming out to participate in the other Elimination Chamber match for the other title. Yeah. And Edge hits him with a chair and is allowed to steal his pod for some right. reason. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... And then he goes on to have an end of that match clinic with Rey Mysterio. So, like, both Ooh. both uh, Elimination Chamber matches end with these really great one-on-one -on -one finishes. Right. Um, and then Edge gets the win, and he is the champion, and then he can then go on to defend that against Big Show and John Cena in their story. Right. So it was just really well executed, really well done, really exciting, lots of fun. And so I... I'm a big fan of No Way Out because my introduction to the pay-per-view was masterful. And it really pinpointed for me how it could be used really well to add some mystery to what the Mania card will look like. Interesting. It's it's funny how all you need is for it to be done well once, especially if it's introduced to you. And you're like, great, I'm in. This is like a good thing you can do. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, yeah, it's interesting that way. I, I don't mind, like, I usually am opposed to, like, oh, every October we have Hell in a Cell, and this half matches are Hell in a Cell matches, that's dumb. Even though this year, that's not, you know, this year they're actually doing, um, you know, Hell in a Cell, or they, they did recently just do Hell in a Cell in June. Um, but, so I don't mind, actually, I don't mind February having Elimination Chamber matches, because 
those make sense as things you would just do period like you don't you know because there's no it's not like it leads to a six-way feud where you go one of us has to be eliminated one by one like that, that doesn't make sense as much so uh, i'm okay with that i will say the edge just throwing like just beating up kofi kicks to get like that's, <laughs> oh yeah Oh yeah, to me. that's that's very like because like the wrestling logic of it is like all right, so you should just beat up like and I guess one of the things that is probably a problem throughout the whole thing is like you should just beat people up backstage because you almost never get punished for it and it at least gives you like a small chance of being replacing them in a match. Yeah, of so, course the, yeah. the the toxic work environment is off the charts. <laughs> yeah, I because I, I feel like you only have to do a few minutes work to be like make give edge some leverage so that he would leverage uh, so that he can justify himself by being there. That would be, that'd be the one thing I'd say. Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, also like, Oh, so, okay, wait, hold on. Was, was there a brand extension then? Like were they on separate brands and everything? Yeah. The belts. Okay. So he, where was he, what brand was he going to? And which one did he go? Like where, where, where was he before? And where did he go to after he lost which title? So yeah. So, title. so, so the belts changed. Not. The yeah. People. Oh, that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that's un- un- unforgivable in my eyes. I like whenever they like do this draft thing where you draft a guy and you get the belt. It's like, no, no. If you draft a guy, he gives up the belt. It's not you don't the, you, they don't own the belts. They're part of the <laughs> show. They're employed by that. It's like if you like you can't draft the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to baseball. And be like, well, I guess they don't have the Super Bowl anymore. <laughs> right. What? No, they don't get to keep that. It's not a Super Bowl works anyway. But uh, I'm making a good point and I'm doing a good job of it. So. Uh, let's <laughs> we'll go way out on the philosophical level discussion. Let's talk about what happened last week and then get into what happened on the snowy night in Montreal in 2003. So in last week's episode of the podcast and on SmackDown, The Rock and Hulk Hogan were in the house. They were promoting their big rematch from WrestleMania 18 for that Sunday's No Way Out, which felt kind of oddly out of place. Uh, and I'm just going to say here real quick, it's because Paul Heyman is no longer booking the show. Last week on the podcast, me and Will, my brother, are pulling our hair up and like, this feels so, or at least I am, this feels very different. It's so strange. Paul Heyman is not booking the show officially anymore. He had issues. Vince took over. And suddenly, there's a bunch of short matches. You know, matches didn't even last two minutes. The main event was a swervy gauntlet match finish, which is which seems totally uh, fitting and in place with what they've done over the last, like, 15 years on these shows. Um, and we were trying to figure out why. That's why. Because Paul Heyman... Variety of reasons, justified or not, they took it away from him and they did they did this instead. And so we're kind of entering a new era of the SmackDown Six podcast, the SmackDown Six era, really. So, so uh, does this coming... mark does this mark the downturn of SmackDown? Like, is this are we doomed or will we get a resurgence of some quality stuff? It depends. I, it's spottier throughout the year. 2003 is a bad year for WWE general. There's a lot of bad, but there's also good. I think you could probably justify there's a downturn. Part of the podcast in some way is figuring it out, is that we go through the whole thing and we go, you know what? July 2003, they were really cooking with gas. I mean, the interesting thing will be when you get into the shows where, the, where and this is this is why I'm kind of excited for the back half of this podcast in some ways. It's like you're going to get into when there's SmackDown only pay-per-views. Yes. Or we're gonna be covering times where we're gonna go to like a full month between pay per or like like two months between pay per views, and so we just do like eight or nine SmackDowns in a row. I'm curious in that. I mean, ultimately, uh, just spoiler alert for the podcast. At some point, we get to cover an Iron Man match between Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle that took place on free television, which is like one of those matches that if it didn't happen, that would be an all time dream match, and it happened. We get to talk about it on the podcast, so I'm thrilled and excited to talk about that. But this is just one of those other places, just like when Edge got injured. Uh, you could very justifiably go, you know what? You cover, you finished No Way Out 2003, and that's your podcast. The Smash 6 era began and ended there. 
I get to mess with it a little bit because Edge is gone, but he's not on Raw, so I'm, I can kind of go on with the the five plus one rule of SmackDown Six podcast. And we go from there. Yes, and so we start our night not on Velocity as I often start, but on Sunday Night Heat. And uh, Rey Mysterio is going up against Jamie Noble. He's coming to the ring by Nidia. Uh, Rey Mysterio, if he's not on a pay-per-view card, they love putting him on Heat. They just they just want him in front of people. They think he is a valuable asset, and he is. He is. Yeah. He's uh, money. So, so halfway through this match, I'm looking. I'm like, wait a second. That referee is not a typical referee from SmackDown. This is a guy. He looks vaguely familiar. And I was as soon as I recognized who it was, I was like, wait a second. Okay, maybe I do remember something of this show. So I'm not gonna. We're not gonna talk about it now, Daniel. Okay. I'll, no, I'll, I'll keep my show. lips shut. There's a referee who looks young. He's like a young guy. Uh, who's doing a great job. Who's doing a very effective referee in terms of like he's got the physicality and everything right. And he fills out a SmackDown referee shirt well. But hmm, it's interesting. It's not Mike Chioda. It's not uh, Jimmy Corderas. Uh, it's not uh, Mike Sparks. I don't even Mike Sparks is still around anymore. Uh, he's not there. Anyway, so they're, they're having an exciting match. When the referee counts to two, the crowd chants two very loudly. The crowd is into it. Man. Yes, the crowd is very into it this night. And some matches they are less into it, but they are into it. So uh, here's the ending for this match. So Ray goes for a 619 on Jamie Noble, but Nidia gets in the way. And so Ray grabs Nidia's hair. And so Taz says, he's got her mop. Wow. I enjoyed that. Uh, Noble grabs Ray. Uh, and But then uh, Nidia, sorry, then Ray kicks Noble into Nidia, hits a 619. West Coast Pop is dodged, but then he gets another kind of Hurricane Rana for the win. So Ray takes that one, which makes sense. I don't know. If, I don't know if Jamie Noble has won a match since like Survivor Series. <laughs> He's just having having a rough time. He's just yeah. around. It's just not happening for him here. So yes, they wanted to get him uh, in front of the crowd, get it hot. It makes a lot of sense. And uh, so yeah, let's get to it. No way out. Two thousand and three. What was the other match on Heat? Was there another one? For the paper, they just have the one. They just they they want to do one match and then they. Um, they just spend the rest of the time selling stuff and doing some promos, things like that. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay, sweet. It's also one of those things where it's easy to look up the the heat match generally. You just say, you know, Google heat and then the date, and you generally find it. For whatever reason, this uh, match was on the official WWE um, YouTube account. Rare. Okay. don't know why. It's not on the network as far as I can tell. Uh, so it's just a weird thing. Other weird thing. We start No Way Out. Without the initial video package, I don't know what was in it. Maybe it was a song or something like that. But we, the first thing you see when you go onto the network version, is the and now Raw and SmackDown present yeah, WWE yeah, 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 yeah. out. So I have no idea what it was. I couldn't tell you. I tried to look it up. I, you know, I looked at old reviews to see what people said anything. Of course, people didn't remark on the early, you know, usually the video package for the pay-per-view can be quite interesting. They've yes. done some very good things in the past, so. We don't see that. We do see some No Way Out-esque kind of imagery. We're like oh, my old... gosh. It's yeah. so weird, Matt. It's <laughs> it so weird. It's just – and I'm reminded of uh, Armageddon, the December pay-per-view, where it's just like – Yes. It's, it's fire and there's skeletons. And so this one is like – there's CGI prisoners and shackles. They're reaching through doors like Nathan they Jones. They look so bad. Oh, yeah. It's 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 2003 CGI, but not made by a Hollywood studio. It's like it's like go back and watch Shrek and then turn it down to 10% quality on everything you watch there. So that's what we but get. do you know what hit me hard? The song. The song. Wake me up inside. Wake me up. 
I was just like, oh my gosh, like my teenage self was just like jumping out of his skin and just like chasing girls I haven't chased for like 20 years. That's oh just my it. gosh. Just, Instantly, just, part of me was just like, wait a second, purple and black hair dye is kind of, I'm into that again. What's going on with that? Why is yeah. that? Why is this appealing? Why am I thinking? Really heavy highlighter. Eyeliner is what I'm into right now. <laughs> uh, and those girls would be maybe at a wrestling show. It's very possible. Um, so, yes, that that song hits in a, in a very big way. It's called Bring Me to Life, which is funny because you would think it would be called Wake Me Up Inside, but it's not. It's Evanescence's yeah. Bring Me to Life. And, uh, yes, it is. An I, anthem of my, like, junior high life. It is an MP3 of the year 2003 in, in yes. a lot of ways. And so that is playing loudly and uh, waking your heart to feelings you haven't felt in many years. Many years. <laughs> we're live in Montreal. And uh, we start with Raw, and we hear Jonathan Coachman is introducing us. Apparently, JR got a concussion on Raw, so we have Coach and Jerry Lawler on Raw for that, which is, is fine. I'm glad I didn't have to listen to any of that. Yeah, yeah, I remember watching Raw and being like, I just don't – why are you giving me Coach? Why are you doing this? Uh, but now let's, let's talk about the set, Daniel. So the set – Let's see if I can describe it here. So the kind of the most important part of it is that it's offset where the Titan Tron's on the right-hand side. And on the left-hand side is an enormous uh, light-up light, light padlock with a WWE logo in it. Showing it's the No Way Out. There's a padlock there. And then on the bottom, there's a strip of screens at the bottom that says No Way Out. And the O in Out uh, is kind of where the entrance is. And the O is, a, uh, is another padlock. So if you see it from the front, it says No Way Out. People come out of that O there, and so uh, yeah. What, what did you think of the set? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't notice it. You know, I was just kind of like, cool. Now that you're saying it, I'm like, oh yeah, it was different. Uh, well, one thing generally that I think is just like I enjoy that they're different. Yeah. Um, back in that era, so so I'm glad, but I didn't, yeah, I didn't note it as like, oh, I wonder what they did there. It was just kind of. Yeah, the padlock stuck out to me because I've seen shows before where it's just like, look, it's scaffolding, and you're like, okay, that's that's fine. Like, and I think okay, now it's tough. Now it's tough because it's like, well, the whole thing's just. And I've heard people complain about it, like, a whole thing's just an LED screen, and I'm like, yeah, but the whole thing can be an LED screen now. That's like the coolest thing about it. It's like 2021, and you can just make the whole thing be like a big TV. Like, what's that's you can stand on it. What's not to like in some ways? Yeah, but but nowadays though they don't do anything different though. It's not like. Yeah. The the set is never thematic of the event. They did something different for Royal Rumble, didn't they? They've done different things for Royal Rumble because they've off, they've often been in like baseball stadiums recently. I'll be interested to see SummerSlam this year, uh, which is fast approaching in real life, where they're in Las Vegas, they'll be in, in in a stadium with people, and so I imagine they'll actually have something more different. At least I don't know, maybe a giant. No, beach. they they don't do they don't do anything like that though on the set they just but they but okay remember but SummerSlam this year will be in a football stadium they don't do fo- they haven't done it in like a football stadium since um, Wembley and that was a different football right okay other- so I, I'll I'll hope I'll hope but even even WrestleMania is just like yeah was a big sign right like yes. yeah no it's true they uh, they do a little bit different from WrestleMania but yeah anyway so the No Way Out set. Stuck out to me, did not stick out to Daniel. You're yeah, my favorite. So, so, sorry, I didn't give you much. Uh, no, that. I, it's great. If something, if I'm like, oh man, it really stuck out to me, and you're like, you know what? No impact. And it's like, great, okay. Could be either, could go either way. And, <laughs> yeah. and that, it probably makes up the breadth of the podcast. Don't care, think it's awesome, or don't care, or, or didn't notice it. So, 
Our first match of the night is a Raw match, Chris Jericho versus Jeff Hardy for the purposes of this podcast. Uh, we skipped the ending. We don't have to cover these matches. We don't know these storylines as much. Uh, we do cover all the kind of backstage segments, and I'll be honest with you, I did watch two of the Raw matches out of curiosity, uh, which I could do. If I had the time, I might watch the whole thing, but uh, time is money, guys, and uh, you know, I'm really trying to dedicate my energy to the SmackDown matches to bring you my, uh, my, my descriptions of it and also my, my take, so that's fine. Anyway, so here's what happens. Jericho goes up to the top rope, and so Jeff Hardy goes up. He goes to hit a Hurricane Rana, but Jericho hits a top rope powerbomb on Jeff Hardy. And you're like, oh, okay, wow, like that's not a very common move. He follows it up with the walls of Jericho, and Jeff Hardy holds out for a little bit, but taps out. Clean win for Chris Jericho. I'm sure he had some chicanery during the match. That makes sense. Now, Chris Jericho, after winning, he won't let go of the hold. So down runs Shawn Michaels, who, uh, at Chris Jericho's request, was banned from ringside for the match because they are building WrestleMania. And uh, it's funny because Shawn Michaels is in Montreal. And they do not forgive his role in the uh, screw job from Survivor Series 1997, uh, which if, you don't, if you're not familiar with that, that's crazy that you're listening to this and you don't know what the, the screw job is. I think that's really cool. Uh, just Google it because it's one of the crazier things and I can't possibly give it justice then. But needless to say, there are multiple people on this card who are treated poorly by the fans because they find them they, they deem them responsible for the, the screw job, or at least in some capacities of it. So, yeah, Shawn Michaels runs down. It's probably like more than half booze for him. And uh, Christian, are they comes, chanting "You screwed Brett" at this point? Because that happens they, later. They might be. I think the one that they, I noticed the one later a bit more. Uh, Christian runs out because Christian is working with Chris Jericho this time, and uh, he he gets hit as a part of the double DDT that uh, Shawn Michaels hands out, and then Christian also gets sweet chin music. So there we go. We are immediately, uh, and this is I think that something that is a strike against this pay-per-view in particular, and maybe with No Way Out in general, uh, <laughs> um, is. Uh, that we're just building a WrestleMania right now, right? You have a good match with Chris, with with, with uh, Jeff Hardy, and then immediately the show is like, just to be clear, you should have saved your money for next month. Um, that's just my opinion. I I, I don't know. And, and, that, and that's a and that's a fair criticism of the pay per view. But I really hope that you take some time to watch No Way of 2009 and see if it changes your mind a little. I do. Just to be clear, at, after this podcast. Like after the SmackDown 6 podcast is completed and we wrap the book on it and we we shake hands and we say jolly good old chap and we all go out for a drink after. My plan right now is to watch every pay-per-view from then until now uh, with some liberal skipping of things where I'm just like, you know what? I don't need to watch Viscera or full JBL pay-per-view main events. That's not – I don't. my life is worth more than that. So um, – we will see. So I will eventually get to know me out 2009, or I will stop that and watch the West Wing. Uh, those are equally possible things. That might not happen instead. So I might be talking about President Bartlett. I might be talking about, um, I don't know, uh, Royal Rumble 2007. Sure, why not? Possibly. Anyway, so after all that shenanigans, we see Team Angle backstage, and they're talking. And uh, I see Charlie Haas has some noticeable tape on his wrists. But I haven't noticed this before. He has the name Russ written on his wrist and t- his tape and wrist. Oh, wait, oh I didn't there? notice on that. Our- He's got wrist tape. It says Russ on his wrist tape. And that is a tribute to his brother Russ, who died uh, of a heart attack in late 2001. And so apparently Charlie either did that a lot or all the time with his uh, his tape. So we always put Russ on there. So there you go. Very nice. I mean, it's probably a very um, you know special moment whenever he would get ready and then write his brother's name on his wrists and probably say a little prayer or think of him. It's nice. It's a nice thing to think about. Also funny because he's a villain here. And so <laughs> – Right. A very sympathetic thing for a villain to do. Exactly. So Kurt Angle is here. He's telling Team Angle about Canada, how they don't have any worthwhile Olympic heroes. 
And he talks about how he would hate to lose to, quote, a walking gorilla and two Canucks. And I love I love Chris. Sorry, Kurt Angle clearly has enough knowledge and affection for Canada because he keeps referencing things that Canadians know. Like he talks, yes. he says Canucks, which is like Americans generally. I, I don't think most Americans would be like, I know what a Canuck is. He also referenced the University of Saskatchewan uh, and on another show, uh, okay. which no one good ever uh, went to that school for sure. Just to be just to be crystal clear. Hey, uh, hey, watch hey. it. Check it out. <laughs> So Kurt says he wants to win. He has an idea that will help them take the early advantage. And so he starts explaining what he, they mean. And he, he really does this close to like, so what we're going to do is, see, we're going to go. Like, we're like they, they cut away from that, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah it, doesn't, it doesn't tell us anything. It's definitely way put on. What I noticed, what I loved was when he was bad talking Canadian Olympians. He says something along the lines of like, they have next to no good Canadian. Like, like he qualifies it slightly. Like yes. it was like he probably has some friends. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You got, you <laughs> he has to be careful. Like yeah. he's just like gotta watch out. Elvis Stoic goes really cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and even just like just like I know some judo guys, so I appreciate. It. And uh, so we cut away from Kurt Angle's uh, plan and from his uh, subtle um, gentleness with Canadian Olympians, and we see a frosty limousine arriving at the Bell Center. And it's like it looks like they put this limo in like the freezer for two hours because it just has like bits of ice and everything all over it because it's like been almost a blizzard in in Montreal apparently. And the the limo opens up and out walks Triple H and the rest of Evolution. Uh, and that it's is really a, cool to see Evolution in their like earliest stage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Triple H is clean shaven because he I don't know he just he just makes a bunch of weird uh, bad choices with his physical appearance at this time where he's a clean shaven he straightens his hair and he just looks like Fabio and. He's just annoying. Um, and so they he, walk he's in. He's pretty. He's pretty fat at this point, isn't he? Um, Daniel, you know, on the Smartosics podcast, we don't do any body shaming, but uh, <laughs> he, he is a little fat boy. Yes, you're right. He's a little, <laughs> little fatty boy. No, it's 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 this weird steroid thing, right? Where he's got this. Yeah. His physique is like he's puffy. You know, his, his muscles all seem kind of like a little bit inflated, uh, not like in a sinewy way where you see the veins, but in like a way you're kind of like you're. You're not you're not naturally like this, I guess, right? Is that what we're supposed to see? And so after after Evolution walks past the camera frame, we see uh, behind the limo is Steve Austin's monster truck. The okay. crowd reacts. To that. Also funny because the idea that Steve Austin's like, I drove my pick my monster truck here. <laughs> like, <laughs> or or they'd have to put that on a truck to bring it. It's like, dude, save the money. Let's let's do that. So we got another Raw match coming up here. We got RVD and Kane against Lance Storm and William Regal for the World Tag Team titles. And so let's get to the ending here. So RVD is getting beat up. Kane gets the hot tag. He runs wild on Storm and Regal. Uh, and then he goes to chokeslam Regal. He gets his hand on the throat. And Storm jumps on his back. Like he's going to give him a sleeper hold. And he's like much smaller than him. It's an amusing thing. And so what he does is he grabs Kane's mask and he turns it sideways. Which has the dual effect of blinding Kane because you know he's got eye holes, but if you turn it sideways, he doesn't have eye holes anymore. He's kind of blinding him there, and almost also uh, exposes his face. So he's like, ah, oh, oh, I can't have people see my face. I'm still a monster. Um, and so he is like, so he like he lets go of Regal. He backs up. RVD does a blind tag in, and he does a couple of things, but then somebody pushes RVD into Kane. So Kane is just stumbling around the ring, and. When, he, when RVD gets pushed into him, he's like, ah, my opponent, I'll chokeslam him. And he chokeslams RVD, not seeing him. And so Storm bowls Kane over. Our Regal covers the freshly chokeslammed Rob Van Dam. And that's enough for the one, two, three. 
And uh, that's so, kind of hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I, I like some mass shenanigans sometimes as a way to win a match, kind of as a way. I almost stuck up my nose and be like, yeah, you don't have to wear a mask, you doof. Like, what are you doing? Like, that's what's going to happen you do that. Like, Well, he's he's going to take the mask off pretty soon. Later in the year, exactly, at the, as a result of feuding with RBD. So we're maybe yeah. seeing, the beginning, seeing the beginning of that. And, uh, yeah, I think a couple times on, on AEW Dynamite they've done this, speci- specifically on Dynamite. And I haven't liked the way they did it where I think somebody took off someone's mask and Excalibur on commentary is like, oh, that's, I can't believe he would do that. Like, it's, you never, you just don't do that. I'm like, it's a, like, grow up. Like, it's wrestling mask. It's not like, it's not like his hijab, you weirdo. Like, just like, he speaks about well, it. Well, like, I think, I think that's what we're led to believe, though, as yeah. wrestling fans about luchadors. Yes, but it, yeah, and so this is me being like, that's too much for me. I, <laughs> I'm not like, I, well, I, I had the I, weirdest I like religious is... freedom. I like religious freedom. I do not support it for luchadors. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we do not follow... I had the weirdest experience, Matt. Yes. This week, I was just scrolling through YouTube, yeah. and there was a there was a Thunder match, mm. and it was Eddie, yeah. Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio versus. Say crazy or right, yeah, to, you know, <laughs> other other luchadors. Oh, luchadors. Um, and uh, Ray is sans mask. Right. He's not wearing yes. a mask. Late, late, and, late. and it was just such a mind trip, man. Like I just couldn't like his whole like the way he moved and the way that he wrestled seemed to me completely different. Right. Because it just didn't match. Like it just didn't compute. Like he was like little Latino gangster with his character. Right. And it was just like really so little. jarring. So jarring. Yeah. I, just to be clear, I'm not against masks. I'm opposed. I'm opposed to like them becoming like these sacred objects. And specifically the way that Excalibur said it. And part of that is because Excalibur is a doofy white guy who wears a mask uh, when he does commentary. And I'm just never gonna think that's not stupid. I just think it's dumb. <laughs> But like Ray Mysterio Josh, specifically, Josh on commentary, bro. I'm sorry, I don't know what his actual name is, but I assume it's not Excalibur. He seems right. like. A... <laughs> but Ray Mysterio got a lot of legs in his career from having that be a factor in his yes, feet. right. And they so would... it's worth what. Yes, I'm fine with some, I'm fine with mashing in against just not uh, treating it like it's uh, like like he's slapping some religious artifact against his head. So okay, after the match. Kane has his mask on right. He's trying to explain to RVD. RVD is like, he's mad. He just leaves. He's shaking his head all the way up the ramp. Like, you idiot. Uh, and on some level, on some level, I'm RVD. I hope he's saying, like, it's it's Rob. He's getting choked, obviously. Don't don't choke slam me. It's Rob. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, the, uh, the thing I don't like in wrestling when people do moves to people when they're not looking. Like, I think I've seen Austin give, give a referee a Stone Cold Stunner once. Because uh, he wasn't looking, the ref got in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it was like, oh, no, he's still the ref. I'm just like, you would know. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's things like that that definitely. Yeah. Like, if if Kane got a choke slam on RVD, he'd be like, wow, bro, Regal or Storm really smell like weed. That's strange that they <laughs> must have been hanging out with me after the match. So we go backstage, and Josh, Matt, Josh Matthews, speaking of Josh's, he's interviewing Matt Hardy in the interview area. So they have a special No Way Out interview area set up here. And, oh, yeah. uh, Matt Hardy, man, what a standout. What a good Oh, yeah. Good, guy. <laughs> good night to be Matt Hardy, too. Uh, so Matt good Hardy, night. he's talking about how Mattitude helped him lose the weight he needed to qualify as a cruiserweight. So he's talking about essentially treating Mattitude like a Scientology. More religion talk. Weird. Okay, I'm going to go Yeah, I love it. it. I love it. Uh, he stops and leaves because he sees someone in the hallway, his brother Jeff. 
And so he tells Jeff he should go back to being a Manitude follower like he was for, quote, all those years. And then he wouldn't. <laughs> don't, I don't remember everything. that part. There. Yeah, I know. I do. I like that detail of him being like just go, going back and being like, just to be clear, in the background of me being a tight team partner with you, I was kind of a psycho loser the whole time. Just to be clear. And so uh, after hearing that he you know, he keeps losing every match, Jeff Hardy smacks Matt. But then Matt is held back by Shannon Moore because his match is up next. And Daniel, that is it for Jeff Hardy on the SmackDown 6 podcast. He will not reappear. He's not on WrestleMania, and he's out of the company by the uh, by April, really. Okay, and off to do some TNA. That's right. He's gonna get his his action right now is currently stopping, but soon it'll be completely no, totally nonstop action. So he's gonna. <laughs> That's right. So next up, like like was said, Billy Kidman is defending his cruiserweight championship against Matt Hardy, and um, I gotta say, I always feel bad about how little the crowd cares about. Kidman, they, they they don't care about this guy at Survivor well, Series. Well, here's you know, here's what happened, like to me, is his music started playing, and I was like, wow, what a great jam! It's a great jam, it is. I feel like I don't hear this ever, <laughs> right? Because I don't. So like, it's really weird to have this cruiserweight title, and it's rarely represented on the main show. I guess it is rare, more rare than I'm realizing in some ways, but um, you can say I also watch the Velocity stuff too, right? Uh, yeah, 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 like not counting velocity, it's like just not present, and so it's really, it's really strange. And so this, I have a little tan. Can I, can I, can I go on a little tangent here? Because I, I want thought, you to. Yeah. Um, because this whole thing, because I remember watching WrestleMania 19, great WrestleMania, and you know the feud there is Matt Hardy and Rey Mysterio for the cruiserweight title and da da da, and like it's just so evident that the cruiserweight title here is losing its value right like it's just not not being what it once was and it's not changing enough to become anything else right and that's going to be remedied fairly soon but i was looking at it and i was like wait smackdown used to have the u.s championship like when does that come into play and i just totally like since i've been watching smackdown episodes uh for the podcast i've just been oblivious to the fact that there was no Intercontinental title equivalent on SmackDown during this time. Right. And that that would make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And so the U.S. Championship debuts in July of this year, of 2003. Right. And then I was thinking, whoa, like, Matt Hardy's character would be so, like, enhanced by having the U.S. Championship available to him. No, and yeah. his presence on TV and the cruiserweight title would not be on the show. And all this stuff would be for the U.S. championship. And I think it would have elevated the character because I think what Matt Hardy is doing right now is valuable. It's entertaining. Yeah. But it needs something. And I think that that's what it needed. It was it, not, it, a, not a championship that we don't care about, but a championship that actually would have some cred. Right. It's interesting because this is this is an interesting time because they are essentially doing this experiment during the brand split where they're like, you know what? No, no mid card belts. Now, what we are going to do instead is have unique divisions. Raw has women. Smackdown has cruiserweight. And there will be a mid card. There just won't be a title to make the main world title more important. Interesting. I don't know if there's a basis for that in any uh, wrestling company. I know obviously these really small ones would have one belt, but almost always grow to have more. And so they were just like, yeah, we're just going to have different divisions. Now, 
I don't know if they ever – I mean, obviously, the women's division was pretty sad at the time, right? You are getting, like, three-minute matches with uh, people who aren't trained very well or given much time or effort. And it's zero fault of them because we've obviously seen how women can flourish in wrestling since then, of course. Um, but, yeah, it's this weird experiment where, like, every t- you're watching the show from back then. And you're like, you know what? I know you're doing this experiment with the mid-card title, but you know what you could really use is a mid-card title. <laughs> Uh, like it, and it's yeah. I totally agree that it's obvious. You're kind of like, and especially when you go look back, you're like, what they had that right? And it's like, yeah, uh, they do. And they, um, but it's funny though because by the end of this podcast, they also misuse that, which is weird. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they do not treat that title well at all. Also weird. Um, so we will get to the debut of that title and then the weird backgrounding of that title as well on the SmackDown Six podcast. So keep listening, folks. Um, one thing that will help you keep listening is when I tell you that Michael Cole is wearing a turtleneck and leather jacket like he's an undercover cop in the seventies. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So this is this is the thing with these guys tonight. Like there's yeah. something in their water because they are just having <laughs> a good time. Like Taz and Cole are just like happy to be there. They're like weirdly confident that they're obviously better than Coach and Jerry the King right now. Like they're just like, we got it made tonight. Like we're gonna sell really good, better than those guys, and we're just having a good time. And they're taking liberties and they're just saying stuff like it's, it's kind of ridiculous, but like really fun. Like it's a contagious fun that they're bringing to the table this night. I think it, it's a good energy. It's a good, like just like when, he, when Taz says he's got her mop, right. When he talk about Nidia and yeah. I think part of that too is like, they have the main event. They have a big main event, right. They have like this really, um, you know, they have the Hogan rock too. And so I think they're probably excited about that. Be part because they're even like taking shots at the other commentary team throughout the oh, game, yeah. which is just like fun. I, I I never loved that because it's just like don't make me feel dumb for watching the other show. We watch other shows. I'm a wrestling fan. Like, right, right, right. Yeah. But but like it just it seems to me like like all of a sudden they realize that they liked each other or something. And it's like right. We're we're good at this together and like let's you know do this you know like I've never thought of Taz and Michael Cole as like one of the great commentary teams. Right. But now after this so stretch, like they're not. But like after this stretch, I'm kind of like. I'd rather them than over quite a few teams right. that they've had or have. So it's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. It's, it's, it's a good night for them. It's a fun night for them for sure. Uh, I look forward to hearing more um, things that stick out. Uh, Matt Hardy comes down. He says, Matt facts, Matt, Matt's Matt facts are that Matt is annoyed by snow and ice. And Matt takes hot tea with milk and sweetener. So he is thinking about being cold. He's a cold boy on this night in February. And, and Michael Cole points out that he must be really annoyed tonight. Yes, exactly. Uh, there's a ton of people in the first couple of rows who leave as the match begins. I'm not sure if it's a bathroom break, if they're not supposed to be there. But like the early stage of this match, it just seems like there's an exodus of like 30 people from the first two rows who are leaving. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't really know why. Uh, match begins. Kidman gets arm drags in a hurricane runner early on. Uh, and then Matt puts Kidman on the apron <clears throat> and he whips him into the post, sending Kidman flying. And I just got to say, that's a real no mercy uh, 64 move. That is one <laughs> that uh, it's an effective uh, elimination for battle Royals. You do a quick lockup. You send them one way. Now he can, you know, if your guy has, is uh, got some reversal abilities, he just he breaks it. But if you send him over there, he's going to hit the, the pole and hit the ground. And that's what happens to Kidman here. Yeah, he goes clean. It's 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 cool. Yeah. Taz speculates about whether or not Matt has to keep the weight off uh, that he dropped to become a cruiserweight and state champion. 
um, if he wins. I imagine he would because at some point they'd just be like, you're 260 pounds. You're not a cruiserweight. You have you can't be champion anymore. But then they start like commenting on like Billy Kidman's size, and they're like, he looks too big for this. <laughs> First, he just be clear, he does not look too big for this, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so Matt gets a fist drop, and then he gets a neckbreaker for two. Uh, this is a side effect attempt from Matt Hardy on Kidman. He reverses it into a kind of a victory roll for two. And then Matt is uh, Matt pins Kidman and he uses the rope for leverage. And I would say that I would put that in quotes because he's just doing a regular cover. And when you put your foot on the rope in a regular cover, and you're like stacking him up. You're not using kind of like your height to your advantage. All you're doing is making yourself less covering the guy and making it easier right. for the guy to kick out. It makes zero sense. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's so good. I love it. That's the kind of stuff that doesn't make sense in wrestling that I just love. I'm just like, right. yes. In my mind, I'll pretend that that works. Right. And that's fine. Your mileage may vary, like I said. Um, Kidman gets an enziguri. And uh, classing with enziguri, especially if you think about like how Owen Hart kicked Shawn Michaels uh, in the back of the head to like knock him out as they had as a, uh, as a storyline at one point. Uh, you kick the guy in the back of the head. Matt Hardy keeps turning his face towards Kidman. So he keeps getting kicked in the face. And it always just looks more painful because it looks like he's like messed it up. So he's just getting kicked more. And it's like, okay, not a lot of fun. Uh, Matt goes to the second rope, hits the leg drop and gets two on that one. And the crowd is just dead. And this is a crowd that is not a dead crowd by any stretch of the imagination during the night. But they are just not interested in seeing Billy Kim and wrestle. Uh, and I say Billy well, Kim. Well, they're really defense. behind Matt, though. Yeah, but, but like when Kidman has like moments, they're just like whatever. Yeah, yeah, because they do a big like two count for Matt and stuff like that. But. Yeah, <coughs> yeah, no, they're uh, they're yeah, Billy Billy does not get the love here tonight. So he tries to wake things up a little bit. He gets a uh, he gets a drive kick that pops him out outside. He does a body press plancha to follow him out, and then uh, Kidman goes for a, a top rope nothing, famous top rope nothing here. Love it. He gets kicked. Twist of Fate gets countered into a giant cover because Twist um, of Fate just always gets countered. That's just how it works. Um, now, Shannon Moore uh, tries, gets up on the apron. He tries to interfere, uh, but he gets hit. Uh, and he's just, he just stays on the apron, though. And Kimmon gets a springboard bulldog, which is something that he, he would often do. Really uh, nice looking. I yeah, like and he, he knocks Shannon Moore down as he does it. So that's kind of the thing. Yeah, Shannon like with his up. foot. and Yeah, double, yeah. double, double attack. He does, yeah, it's a, it's a solid move there. And so then he goes up top for the shooting star press, and Billy Kidman misses, which I think is pretty rare. I honestly can remember – like I, there's been times where people get up, and they stop him from doing it. But it's rare that he goes to the well, and he doesn't get it, which is interesting. Uh, and so he misses. Matt gets a twist of fate, uh, and Billy spikes his head on the ground, like as always, uh, but only gets two. And I was like, okay, interesting, because I was like, that seems like a pretty clear uh, ending for this match. And so yeah. uh, they go back on top. Matt goes for second rope, twist of fate, but it gets countered. And then Shannon Moore grabs Kidman, so Kidman can't, you know, do a shooting star press again. But Matt climbs back up, and he does a second rope, twist of fate. And so it's kind of like he's got his body already mostly turned into the cutter par- par- portion of it, but he still bothers to do kind of like the, oh, I wrap my other arm around, oh. And so he does a turning thing, hits a twist of fate from the second rope. Uh, I guess you would call that an avalanche twist of fate, or I'm not sure if the second rope counts as an avalanche something or not, but – that's what you get. And as you might imagine, that gets the one, two, three. Kimmon loses. He loses the title to Matt Hardy on this night in February 2003. This one looked really weird for me because it looked yeah. like they messed it up. And they looked like he was supposed to accomplish this move on the first attempt in the turnbuckle. And then right. they trip up and then they just do it again. I don't know if that's true. 
Yeah. But well, that's what it looked like to me. Because Shannon Moore got involved the second time. And so I think Shannon gets yes. involved to kind of point to you to be like, just so you know, Matt Hardy did not win clean against Billy Kidman. I think that's what it's trying to tell you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you hear throughout the match uh, Taz commenting that Shannon Moore is addicted to BJ? Right. What does he call it? Banana juice, right? Yeah. Yes. He says that a number of times, banana juice. And f- famously, bananas are not really juiceable in a sense. We can mash bananas. It was, it was so it was so good. I was just like, why, why, Taz? Oh, yeah, I forgot. You're in a good mood. That's why. Yeah, Taz is just having fun here. I also have to say, if you can't solve the problem of Shannon Moore on the outside, you probably deserve to lose. Like He's just, he just isn't that much of a threat. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Just, just a little dude. Just yeah. a little dude having fun. And he can have an impact, but only if you let him. And so the match and Cole the- calls the moonsault the prettiest move in sports entertainment. It's shooting sports. star press, you mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And I'm just kind of like, I don't know if I would like that if I was Billy Kidman. That like the commentary is like, he is the prettiest move. It's so pretty. Well, especially it depends how yeah, it depends how comfortable he is with masculinity in some ways. But like I'm fine. Right, right. Yeah, I guess I just outed myself. It's like uncomfortable right. with masculinity. Sorry, right. folks. He should have pink tights. Wouldn't change who he is as a man at all. It'd be fine. He could do that. Well, <laughs> right, we all know that that worked for Hardcore Holly. But. Uh, <laughs> I guess Billy Gunn also had the pink tights when he was Mr. Ass. Yeah, but it worked for him because he was Mr. Ass. He was an ass man. In fairness to Billy Gunn, he was, in fact, an ass man at the time. So that makes sense. Uh, so the match ends, and then suddenly we are backstage, and it's it's very uh, harried camera work here. The camera is running towards uh, Chris Benoit and Brock Lesnar, who have discovered Edge, and Edge is unresponsive on the ground. And Stephanie uh, McMahon, our, our general manager on SmackDown, she was kind of running with the camera. And so we we arrive to see this scene the same time Stephanie does. And she asks Brock what happened. And he says he doesn't really know where he's kind of walking by. Is it something again? I don't know if he's I just I just got here. I just got here, he says. And uh, so, yeah. Now, the problem with this scene, essentially, is that it looks like Edge died. Because he's unresponsive. <laughs> he's not doing anything, right? It's obviously not what happened. But they're like, oh, man, what are we going to do with him? He's like, is he... To jerk a pulse? Like, he seems like maybe he was, like, poisoned or something, or, like, choked to death. Like, he just seems I, like he's a corpse on the ground. I have so many questions about this, Matt. Like, I yes. have I have no idea what's going on here, because first, I have real-life questions, and, like, oh, I can explain questions. this. I can like, explain do, this very Well, no, I know. Like, he needs to be written off TV. Yes. But, like, why now? So, here, here are my thoughts. Yes. First off, this is not explained in the course of this night. Is it? No, I mean is the actual uh, attack. We're, I mean, we're obviously supposed to believe it was Team Angle. Yeah, but like that's never articulated, right? Right. I don't. Yeah, they don't really get into it. They're just kind of like, I, yeah. They, they mentioned some stuff early, later on. Because you would think that if that was the case, there would be consequences for Team Angle. That then it would be a strict tag team. Like one of their members would be taken away. Oh, but they mentioned later on. They're like they are offered. Hey, do you want to get another person? And they said no. Oh, so, okay. So it was being like tough. And in fairness, in fairness, and this is in kayfabe, you would be like, well, you don't want to take one of the members of Team Angle out. People are paying to see them. Now, at the same time, people paid to see Edge wrestle, and they've known for weeks Edge is not going to wrestle. Yeah. Uh, and they're kind of hiding under that, like, uh, card subject to change thing. And it's like, yeah, but not outside your control with subject to change, not when you are uh, lying to us and tricking us. So so I'm just saying, so, like, what, what, like, was Edge on TV in a wrestling capacity last week? Because you said that the episode we watched together was the last that we would see him in action. Yes. He ran out after um, after some sort of match in street clothes and kind of did, uh, helped with the beat down. So he looked fine. Oh, okay, but he's he's covering up. So my theory, and you can yes. confirm, 
is he's just getting a ride back home to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, no, they, they wanted people to think from like before they bought the pay-per-view, you're going to see edge tonight. We hope you pay to see this edge in this, in this match. They don't want people to think it's a handicap match. They want to squeeze as many buys out of it by misrepresenting the edges there. Although I do like your idea that he wants to get a ride into Canada. Well, uh, that, I think, that, I think that, that's my hope is it's just like they're, they're on this tour and he's just like, well, we're going to be in Canada soon. Like I'll just hang out with the boys if I'm right. injured. Like, Yeah, no, I think, I think it was a craven capitalist, uh, Experiment to get more money out of the hardworking WWE fans, blue collar fans. Well, are, wow, wow, I, I am, I am shocked. I know. Uh, I feel, I feel like a real, uh, feel sports entertainment Bernie Sanders right now. It's unjust. <laughs> they do the top one percent of all wrestling. Fans. Anyway, I can't do his, uh, I can't do his voice, uh, and I feel like it would be insensitive for me to try. Uh, anyway, so we see this scene, and Michael Cole and Taz afterwards, they're concerned. They're at the announce table. They're just concerned. They're just worried. And there's like, I don't know. Like, that's and Taz cool. is like, I didn't I didn't make out what anybody said. I don't know. People in the truck, tell me what's going on. It's like, yeah, it's very much okay. like, you got to tell us some stuff as we find, like, we need to hear about this. And they do tell us some stuff that goes on. And um, don't worry, though, next, the next match is very important, guys. We get to cover it on the show here. Undertaker versus Big Show. <laughs> so I think their first choice was a mistake to air this video package that promotes this match because it <laughs> would have been way what led to this please not like this <laughs> it would have been way better to just leave that out because right. that video package just is like a huge reminder of how terrible this feud and lead up was and yeah. just like how nonsensical and stupid and like not not cool just it's just not a cool feud Right. It's really lame and stupid. It's just like Undertaker being annoyed by men in boxes. Right, exactly. He's just <laughs> he's like having these he's having like game show antics to build a pay per view feud, and it's like ah, I don't know why people are getting into this. Uh, you know, on this night, one of the things I noticed right away is uh, like okay, so Undertaker doesn't have a finisher he can do on Big Show, so could he even win? Like, will that be even fun to have happen? He can't choke slam, he can't power bomb, he can't. This is really interesting. It is very interesting. Uh, because I'm going to say up yes. front that I think this match betrayed the terrible lead-up. I think this match was all right. I think this match is all actually pretty decent. I think there's parts yeah. of it that aren't great, but it's actually not bad. Yeah. Uh, which they is do crazy. some interesting things and yeah. uh, tell us a cool story. There's there's some consistency stuff that I think needs to be addressed. It's some flow stuff. But Yes, exactly. These are, these, these are the notes you have for them. So we start – an interesting thing here. Big Show comes out. He's wearing his one-strap singlet. Which is a big change from what he was wearing last. He's not wearing jeans and a single top anymore. I think it's a better look, and it's more or less what he wears going forward now. So we're going to see that this is the final Big Show look for the SmackDown 6 podcast. Very good. Very good. Make some decisions, Big Show. Paul White, thank you for your decisiveness. Michael Cole lies to us early on. He says Big Show jumped from Raw to SmackDown, which is incorrect. He was traded. Uh, now, uh-huh. for no just to be clear, but we were told, as clear as could be, Big Show was traded to SmackDown. Um, we just will never know for who or for what or what what, what it was. Uh, and this is like Michael Cole has got like I remember a few weeks ago he was like asking Kurt Angle like Hey why did you why did you recruit uh, Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin? It's like Michael Cole he did not recruit them. Paul Heyman uh, gave them to him. What are you talking about? Yeah. Like, like weeks later he's like Oh. It, it, it's like, in a weird like gift ceremony. Yeah. Here are people as gifts. Yeah no of course if a man of color uh, is a gift maybe not a problem at all didn't think about that I guess okay. Like, well, Charlie's there. He's white. It's okay. He's with Mr. Haas. He's, he can do that. It's like, well, I don't like the visual. Anyway, Undertaker circles the ring in his bike uh, as he comes down. Big Show is, like, worked up about it. Like, he's, like, extra mad that Undertaker's doing that. I guess and they make doing... a big deal. They're like, oh, he, 
he's not getting off. He's going around a second time. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Unless, well, he's, unless he's dragging big shows like family members behind him, it's not a big deal. He's driving around the ring more than once. Just not. Circling the wagons, they call it. Yes. So Undertaker poses in the ring, and then he flips himself over the top rope. Um, just to be clear, he, like, grabs the rope and then, like, rolls. He's not doing a plancha. Uh, yeah, so I was excited. very confused about this start, right? Because <laughs> it's, like, a non-start. And it is. When Taker, when Taker gets back in, they ring the bell, but Big Show yes. doesn't get in? Yes, exactly! So, so it's like, you, why, why, why did they start the match? He <laughs> like, pounds on Big Show outside. The, the situation did not change. <laughs> yeah. Now, the thing I was hopeful for, and I'm glad this is because I was afraid they were going to do the wrestling sin of there's this big feud about a guy who tries to, like, kill the other guy, and they don't – and they really hate each other, and they get in the lockup. And I didn't want that. So it starts – yeah, Undertaker goes outside starts the ring. Starts hot, really good. He beats up Big Show. He rolls into the ring. Big Show is outside. The bell rings, exactly like you said. It is – he's not – Big Show's not even in the match. They should start yeah. counting – not in the ring. They <laughs> should start counting him out, right, as soon as the bell rings. It's Undertaker versus – God, <laughs> the, the yes. invisible opponent. Yeah. That's right. Um, and I just guess Undertaker looks better here. Like his arms look pretty good. He's got more definition in his back. He's kind of light. He's like much better than he's, he's looked like even six months ago when we started the show. He still looked oddly old to me. I was surprised. I was yeah. like, wait, I thought this was a younger Taker. Like, what's he going through right now? <laughs> that's weird. Who knows? He's he's still easy young. He's a, got a, a baby. He's got a new baby there. So that's all thing. That's right. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure he's very active in that baby's life as a guy who's on the road 350 <laughs> days a year. Uh, oh so, Undertaker, so Undertaker, he drops a leg on Big Show on the apron, and he grabs a chair. And so the ref freaks out when Taker brings it into the ring. So Taker fakes him out, like when you're kind of like, like a, huh, like I'm going to come get you. Like, boom. I don't know if I can describe that well enough, but he like kind of does the head fake out thing. Like some, they had a D-bag yeah. high school did to be like, huh, oh, you flinched. Uh, and so when he does that, the referee goes flying. Like he, Yo, like, Brian Hebner just leaps yes. out of the ring. And so when he turns to face Big Show after scaring Brian Hebner, uh, Undertaker uh, gets punched in the face with a chair by Big Show, uh, which is crazy because afterwards they keep fighting like that didn't even really happen. Like Big Show, correct? Just, yeah, Undertaker's not acting like, oh man, I just got the equivalent of uh, chaired in the face. He's like, oh, that sucks. So, so this is where the flaws begin for me. Yeah, is like, okay, first off, why are you already introducing an equalizer into this match in terms of like protecting? protecting taker from the loss or t- protecting big show from yeah i i, I yeah i guess it'd be, like, it'd be, it'd be, what are you trying to do loses, here yes yeah, like, i thought you, it'd be undertaker loses here you can justify it more i guess yeah and it's like why why do you need to do that because shouldn't paul white be on the level right now with undertaker like shouldn't this be a toe-to-toe kind of thing so right. all of a sudden i'm already telegraphed that big show isn't looked at as much of a much of a competitor here. So I'm like, ooh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, it's it's sad. And and just like a no sell essentially. So what ends up happening with it, which is dumb. Yes. That's a good point. Uh, Michael Cole, he hits on the reason why I'm not excited about this match. He's like, I don't know, last ride, tombstone, choke slam, none of them can really be done on Big Show. I'm like, yes, exactly. Now they also get uh, intel from the truck, which is the, like what they were looking for. Uh, which is that Edge has been taken to, quote, a local medical facility, a favorite euphemism of WWE at the that. time. I love that so much. So Edge is gone. Edge is not dead. I'm glad they didn't say he's taking him to a funeral home here in Montreal to uh, have him embalmed, as it looks like he was backstage there. And then I just realized that Chris Benoit found uh, what I would presume would be his body. Interesting. Uh, let's not read into that too much. Um, so Big Show starts to hit elbows uh, on Undertaker from the ground. It just takes forever to do it. He just like, hits one, gets up. 
It's another one gets up. That eventually gets two. And uh, Big Show gets Undertaker in a bear hug. And I'm just like, why do they let him do this? Like, bear hugs only make matches boring. They do. Right. Unless it's, like, drama too. Like, unless it's Big Show shaking the Hulkamania out of Hulk Hogan. Uh, right. I said Big Show. I think Brock Lesnar. I, I may not have said Brock Lesnar. But I meant to say Brock Lesnar, uh, the future Beast Incarnate. So I don't like it. Uh, Undertaker gets out of the bear hug. He hits some strikes. They're a little less powerful because he's not the best pure striker in WWE just yet. But uh, he is striking purely uh, on in Montreal on that night. Yeah, it looked good. I was I was I was into it. Big Show tosses Undertaker outside, and then when he gets back in, he starts headbutting him until he blades. I mean, until he bleeds. Uh, and he's, <laughs> he's bleeding. Yeah, I, I was gonna say because I was like, wait, what and why? Like there there was no need for blood in this match, and the I, way that the blood came didn't make any sense. Like, the chair would have made more sense at the beginning. Oh, good point. Move the chair spot up. If you're going to do that. At least, and then, then at least it makes the chair seem like it had more of an impact on somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's funny because Big Show keeps headbutting Undertaker. And I'm just like, punch him, please. Like, you're going to hurt a lot less if you keep, like, like a headbutt should be, like, a last moment kind of like, you know what? Boom. Or you hit him with, like, a part of your head that hurts less to hit with. He just um, really wanted to share Undertaker's blood. Like, he just wanted to be blood brothers or something. Well, it was on there. It's true. Got on his forehead. So Undertaker, Undertaker starts to punch back. I said Understaker, different character. And uh, Big Show <laughs> the gets... The stakes are really low for Understaker. He's the under, yes, exactly. He, his matches have a very low bar. And it's like, well, it could be good. We don't expect anything of it. And so he's, he's punching Big Show into the corner. And then the referee starts yelling at him again. Uh, and so Undertaker approaches him. And it might just be even just to get momentum to hit Big Show. Like he seems like he's backing up to, like, to run toward him. But as he gets closer to him, Brian Hebner freaks out. He leaves the ring. He, like, avoids him. And I've seen Brian Hedder do this before. I think, I think like, A-Train on Velocity, where, like, A-Train like, kind of gets in his face and he, like, runs out of the ring. I'm just like, your character is for being, like, a little bitch. Like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, that? I, I didn't understand because I didn't know how it was contributing to the story of the match. And yeah. I realized that it wasn't. And it was just pure distraction to just, like, when does this guy get fired? Like, does he get fired? Like, Not soon is enough. He, oh, my gosh. It's true. Uh, Undertaker goes for a choke slam, does not get it. He goes for a rope walk, however. He does get the rope walk. He goes for the choke slam again, but uh, Big Show grabs his neck right back. And uh, it's one of those moments where uh, Brian Hebner is so close uh, to both guys with so their hands on their necks. You're like, why is he right there? And he gets hit by an errant elbow, which allows Undertaker to hit a low blow on Big Show. And yes. uh, and then there's this kind of this, there's uh, a running DDT for two on Undertaker, for Undertaker for that. And that's where I kind of thought that could be the end. I was like, okay, that could kind of make sense where between a low blow and this big spiking DDT, you take him out and that would maybe make more sense. Now, uh, instead, uh, it gets it does only gets two, like I said. And Big Show gets up. He does a spine buster for two. And then Big Show does something that is kind of like a Death Valley driver. He tries to do it, but it's clear he's just setting up a move that can be countered. Uh, and so it sets up a dragon sleeper. And so Paul Heyman, who has been on the outside for this match, he jumps on the apron to distract the Undertaker. And so Undertaker releases the hold, and he goes after Paul Heyman. So the Dragon Sleeper isn't something I was super familiar with, and I thought it looked really cool. Like just oh, like yeah, really. The size situation, like it just made for like, a, oh, this looks kind of devastating. Right. Because like his weight and size, he's not easily going to be able to just stand up from that That's position. True. Yeah, it's, so uh, it's it looked, not bad. It looked pretty believable to me. Undertaker. Undertaker has done a, a bad job with that in the past where he's like standing upright and holding the guys. And it's like Jeff Hardy. And you're kind of like, all right, is that going to hurt Jeff? And like Jeff can't turn around in that. Like we're not worried about that. Right. 
So it's kind of a funny thing. I think he did it better here just because uh, Big Show's much bigger. And so uh, A-Train runs down. He's shirtless. He's hairy. He's in jeans. And Undertaker hits him. And uh, and then – sorry, and just to be clear, when you were like, oh, why does this match have blood in it? I was like, well, Undertaker asked for it and got it because it's like – he's like, this match needs like more to it, which it did, kind of. Um, and so It was a this bad is, choice. Bad choice for placement of it. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, and then we have this moment here, which also feels very much like something that Undertaker wants to do for for that. So on the outside of the ring, A train and Paul Heyman. And this Hayman was cool. Oh, for sure. A train and Paul Heyman are on the mat or on the on the ground, I guess. And Undertaker runs. He does his diving suicide like plancha, I guess would be the word for it. To the outside, he clears the ropes and he lands on Paul Heyman and A train. Mostly Heyman. Mostly like, Heyman. Heyman gets a lot of this. Like, he eats it. <laughs> Well, he's, he's no longer the booker. So, like, well, you have to do something. So, here, you get hit by a big guy from Texas. And uh, so, Taker is back, gets back in the ring. Sorry, just to be clear, the crowd goes nuts at that, which is unsurprising. But it's also a very hot crowd. And it's a cool thing to do. Uh, and so, crowd is nuts. Undertaker gets in the ring. His eyes are wild. And he signals for a tombstone. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like, this is like an energy thing that the Taker's bringing to this. He hasn't, I haven't seen from him in a while. He signals for the tombstone, uh, which you're first you're kind of like, is that gonna, how can you do that? Then Big Show, uh, he grabs his neck. He's kind of faking it, I guess. I don't know. He choke slams Undertaker. And then he goes to cover Undertaker. But then Undertaker gets a triangle chokehold on Big Show. And uh, after just a few moments, Big Show is out. And the referee rings the bell. Undertaker wins. And uh, it's not like his uh, his go-go platter or whatever you call it later on where he does the MMA Hell's, kind of chokes. Hell's Gates. Skate. Oh, yeah. That's, I forgot that. That actually did have a pretty cool name, uh, which is impressive. But I, w- so. I was thinking about it, though, because it looked yeah. like it looked similar. Enough similar. Yeah, for sure. But I was just like, oh, there's some nice like it was definitely I felt like the MMA taker was in the house this night. And it was just really neat there. But then I looked it up. And so the Hell's Gate makes its debut in 2008 against Viscera. Officially. Interesting. Yeah, interesting and, that uh, both times he goes from it's, it's big dudes he can't pick up. Yeah. So so it start it starts out though with like blood coming from the opponent's mouth and stuff like it's like right. it's a real like dramatic thing that he does. Right. He's he's a dead man again. Yes, which was a good move there. So yeah, I don't know. Like uh, there's stuff in the middle that I didn't really like for it. I had low expectations for it. Uh, the crowd was really into it, and they made they did the moves they really need to make make this the big thing. Um, also weird. This is the longest match of the night. Oh, so interesting. Other matches are close to it, but this is this is the longest, just because what what all the other things that happened. Right. The thing about the finish that I didn't like yes. was that you get this really roaring momentum that Taker has after the plancha, and he yes. comes back into the ring. Like the finish just should have happened. Um, right. Because he has so- his his eyes are wild. He's crazy. Like he's like yeah. he's he's there's like an energy to him. Yeah, I agree. Actually, that's a good. Point. So so the choke slam just really interrupted the flow, and like it didn't. It didn't create tension because you're confident at this point that Undertaker is taking this thing. And so right. it didn't do any sort of like storytelling there. It was just kind of this like stopping the inevitable. And it really kind of deflated the moment. Right. Now yeah. there's a real question here. Like how does Taker get to his finish from a standing position? Like how, how does he get into the triangle choke? Um, yeah, right, exactly. And like, how does he justify not trying the tombstone? So, so again, they had to do something, but I just wish they were more creative in that space and did something right. different to just make plancha victory. You know what I might have, you know what I, I might, my, my edit for it might be, uh, 
put 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 Big Show in the corner, get him on the second rope, and then do like a diving choke slam, like a diving choke slam, but like grab him by the neck there and toss him off, and that's your choke slam. That's oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right, I'm gonna be describing that great, but but yeah. So after the match, Undertaker grabs a chair. He approaches Big Show, but then A Train comes back in. He hits the uh, derailer Baldo bomb, and then lifts his arms high. And Hate Train helps Big Show to leave, cementing their connection. And uh, you know we've been here before, kind of back in December. And so A Train, uh, he's 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 taking after Undertaker here, and it's going to be leading again to WrestleMania. Things, well, everything is just to go for it. Right. A Train looks really tough here. He's like he does yelling into Taker's face while Taker's lying on his back. Like he was like. Man, I'm seeing elements of A-Train that I just never knew existed. I just totally rode off A-Train as, like, a C-tier character. Right. Uh, because, I like, I hadn't watched in depth. Like, I just kind of saw fits and starts. Yeah. And then here I'm like, man, like, they really could have done something with him. But maybe they tried, and it just didn't work out. He didn't they take to try. it. I think they do try a little bit here. Uh, and they're like, you know what? Just train people. That also works. Uh, and so we see... Um, <laughs> We see some footage from moments ago, and Stephanie's with Lesnar and Benoit, and she tells them uh, she's going to go with Edge to the hospital, and she says their match is next. So um, I imagine even though they they talk about it a little bit like oh they could have had a partner, um, it's not a lot of time for them to even consider it. So there we go, Stephanie. And Stephanie's also leaving her brand to go to the hospital with Edge, which is like okay, I feel like you could send someone to that. You feel like you should still be here for this. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, what, what if there's some shenanigans in the main event? At one point, like the lights go off or something. Wouldn't you feel stupid if that happened on your show? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but not that would ever happen. I mean, there's really yeah, no, it's it's a one million and one uh, odds of that happening for sure. Uh, let me see. Uh, Eric Bischoff is in a karate gi. He's talking to Val Venus, who's now known as Sean Morley, his chief of staff. I said his chief. Of, I don't know if they say it's his chief of staff. He does become that at some point. He might be here. Well, well, this man calls him chief. chief. Good, great. Uh, so they brag about some shenanigans that happened on Raw last week, and whenever that happens, I'm like, I don't care. Get out of here. Don't tell me about Raw. Uh, and so in comes Vincent Kennedy McMahon, and he says he's so impressed with Bischoff's karate exploits last week that he sees Bischoff as having a big advantage. Uh, so much so that he doesn't want anyone to interfere in that match tonight, or they'll be fired on the spot. And so he gives. Valvina slash Sean Morley, a very significant look. And then as he leaves, he says to Eric Bischoff, no way out. Uh, Amazing. Worried. Which I actually did love that. I, I love I loved the framing of no way out as uh, a something that Eric Bischoff has to live with for this, this match here. That's right. And so uh, Team Angle versus Chris Benoit and Brock Lesnar, a two-on-three handicap matches up next. Uh, now, Daniel, do you remember what I told you to watch for in this match? Yeah, you told me that Kurt Angle breaks his freaking neck. Yeah. And I did and the, not know and, this. And the, and the Brock Lesnar has something to do with it. And so I yeah. was I was eagle-eyed, man. And like I got I got like I got one main option and like a side option if that's not the case. But it wasn't yeah. anything clear. Yes. Like I think I think it's what you think it is. If I had to guess, we will get into it here. Okay. And so yeah, so on on Kurt Angle's podcast, uh, and Kurt Angle says some stuff on the podcast that I don't think is necessarily fully accurate. Not because I think Kurt Angle is lying, but because. There's a lot of life that gets lived, and uh, it's hard for you to remember creative decisions made 18 years ago that didn't happen. Like Kurt Angle said initially, he was like, after he won the title at Armageddon, he was supposed to keep the belt from Armageddon, uh, retain the title at WrestleMania, and keep it until WrestleMania 20. And I'm like, I, I don't believe that that was ever the plan. <laughs> Just as an example of something he says. But he mentioned on one of the early podcast episodes, he talked about how he broke his neck in this show. And so I was like, okay, well, gosh. I'm just going to put a pin on this and get ready to watch No Way Out. And eventually when we cover that on the podcast, I'll, I'll point it out. And so I will. 
So let's talk about this match here. So Angle and the boys come out. So wait, first things first, echoing some of my complaints of last time I was on this show. Yes. Heyman does not look like he got planchaed by The Undertaker. Oh, good point. And what the heck? The very I keep next match. this. Yes. The very next match. And he's just like, I'm tough. I'm Heyman. I'm waltzing out with my boys. We're right. going to get this done. And I'm just like, come on. Like, right. like, referees are out for hours when they get hit by this stuff. Right. Like, what are you, Heyman? You're not a wrestler. So, like, where, like, what's the category here? Like, what's your what's your damage meter? Right. Excellent, ex- excellent point that did not occur to me. Um, I guess they're, they're presuming they're like, well, you know, we saw the Vince McMahon thing. So he had time to recover in, in that time. Like, I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, there's a loud you suck chant for Team Angle. Uh, and they finally nailed how to do the raise your hands to the ceiling when the power goes off thing for Kurt's entrance. Because they tried to do it where they all do it at the same time as Kurt. Uh, now, instead, Kurt raises his hands to the first burst of pyro, then Haas, and then Shelton Benjamin for the third one. So it's like one, two, three, and matching with the pyro. And that looks cool. They do. Oh, good yeah, I didn't notice that. Yeah. That's sweet. Uh, they also have all the belts, which looks good. I demand that you give stables all the belts from time to time. Make them their, make that their goal. It looks good. Undisputed Era, modern example of it. Looks cool when they have all the belts. Just do that. Um, yeah, Cole. Yeah, Cole. And Be- Cole says that Brock and uh, Chris were given the option to pick a new partner, but they opted against it. And it's also like, who would they even pick though? Like, who is back Ray. there? I guess you could pick Ray. That'd be one. Ray. Well, I was gonna say Ray. I like that. I'm like, who would they even pick? We both come up with the exact same answer. That would be like, actually, you know, pretty compelling. Um, yeah. <laughs> so who knows? Well, because they're all they're always all mixed up together. Like, just I mean, doing yeah, stuff. That's kind of whole point of the podcast in some ways. And there's, and there's no, in my mind, there's no clear reason why it's Edge Benoit teaming up with Brock. Right. Like, so it's like it could be Ray. Yeah, I guess it was kind of like common enemies against Team Angle, and Ray has had fewer run-ins. Maybe I don't know. That is, I don't even know if that's true. But, like, him and Angle just, like, they're fighting all the time. Yeah, they are really are fighting all the time. It's true. Uh, in in the crowd, there's a sign as Benoit comes out, a multi-person sign that says, Here Comes the Toothless Army. So you can imagine multiple people holding a Here Comes the Toothless Army sign together. Amazing. Uh, and Brock Lesnar, he gets a big reaction, which is nice, because he's over. He's established. He's a new star. They've done it. People in Montreal want to see Brock Lesnar wrestle, which I think is cool. And I'm glad they can do that. Um, and so yeah, so Benoit and Shelton start the match. Yeah, would you remind me of Brock Lesnar here? It's very hard to believe Angle's story that he was supposed to hold the title for that long. 100. Oh yeah, it's like you're like that because because Brock is dead if he does this whole experience, gets screwed out of the title at Survivor Series 2002, beats Big Show on the way to winning the Royal Rumble, and then loses at, at WrestleMania. You're like, okay, glad he did all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's funny. Does, it doesn't make sense. Uh, I could see that being an early plan at some point, but they would almost have to not even do the Brock stuff. So uh, Benoit's got black tights on. It says toothless aggression on them, and he's got a Wolverine on one leg. I don't remember these tights at all. And, they looked uh, really cool. I saw them, and I was yeah. like, neat, good look. Yeah, good. Uh, they uh, So yeah, Shelton Benjamin uh, and, and Chris Benoit start, and then uh, Shelton tags in Charlie. Benoit tags in Brock, and it's another big reaction to Brock Lesnar being tagged into the match here. And so Cole and Taz, Cole and Taz tell us uh, that Paul Heyman is sitting on their announce table, uh, which I like oh, that we don't that's see. Funny. It, but they're like, ah, oh, Paul Heyman's just sitting here, and it's like that's funny. He's not sitting. He's not sitting in the chair at the table. He's sitting on it because he is above it and doesn't care about sitting on their table, which is funny. Uh, so Charlie Haas gets tossed around the ring by Brock, and Brock gestures that he wants Kurt. So Kurt hops off the apron to avoid the tag because he's cowardly, of course. 
And so Brock is in with Haas, and Kurt grabs Brock in a sleeper from the apron, but then Brock brings him inside. Uh, Shelton Benjamin super kicks Brock, dropping him down, uh, and Kurt with him, who's on his back. Probably was not fun for that to happen to Kurt there. And so Kurt finally gets tagged in to face Brock, and he grabs a sleeper hold, this time in the ring on purpose. And so Brock stands up. Uh, he's got Kurt on his back, and he runs into the turnbuckle with Kurt. But Kurt holds on. And then Brock gets up again. And this is where it all happens. Okay. As far as this I can tell. This is what I assume. Yes. So, yeah. So just to be clear, he essentially Brock does the same spot twice, where Kurt Angle has been a sleeper hold. Brock gets up from the ground with, with Kurt Angle essentially in piggyback position. And he runs towards the corner and then turns and bangs Kurt Angle into it with the idea of, like, I'm going to knock this guy off of me, which makes a lot of sense. Now, Brock is doing with all of his Brock intensity because that's he he's only got one speed, which is just fast. And um, he – yeah, so, this, so he does it once, and it's fine. Now, to be clear, this is the second time that Kurt says Brock broke his neck, which was uh, – he hit him with a chair earlier in 2002. I don't remember when. I don't remember this particularly, but he said he broke his neck there too. I was like, all right, wow. Um, just to be clear, I think it's like breaking vertebrae, if you want to be specific. Right. It's not like the neck. Yeah, because it's, it's like when I hear about a broken neck, I hear like something serious, not something that you can wrestle for another month. Yeah, I presume that you are uh, a moment from dying at any time. We might guess you break your neck, but maybe not so much here. So Brock has Kurt on his back. He gets up again with Kurt on his back in a sleeper. He rushes into the corner again. And when he lands, Kurt kind of lands on his shoulder and kind of on his neck. And some kind of some whiplash there. So Kurt is like he 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 is still going, but it comes to the abrupt end on the uh, on the the turnbuckle pad there. Yeah, well, it looks like he kind of like spikes him. Like it almost looks like a almost turns into like a, like a fireman's carry sort right. of like the way that angle kind of comes off of yeah. Brock's shoulder and then lands kind of spikes down on his head and shoulder. Yeah, it's not clean. It's not a clean little like, kind of move here. But it looks cool, man. I was like, yeah, devastation, mayhem. So it looks cool. It's funny because um, when I first read like what happened, after the first time Brock went to the corner, I'm like, oh, did he break his neck there? That's crazy because Kurt's still on him. And then he does this here, and Kurt acts completely differently where he's on the mat. He's grabbing his shoulder and neck. He lays there for a bit. He tags out to Shelton Benjamin, uh, but he stays on the mat. And you're like, okay, so he's definitely hurt at this point. Uh, and now we know he broke his neck. So in comes Benoit, and he hits some German suplexes, uh, including one on a running Kurt Angle who just broke his neck. Uh, he hits a couple more on Shelton Benjamin before he goes up top for a flying headbutt. Uh, but Charlie Haas grabs his leg from the outside. And so Benoit shakes him off, but in comes a running Kurt Angle who has a broken neck to hit his pop-up super belly-to-belly on Benoit, uh, one, of his, one of his favorite moves there. And so Brock grabs Angle in a sleeper, just like Angle got him with earlier there. And uh, Shelton breaks it up. And it's back to Shelton and Benjamin and Shelton and Benoit in the ring. Then Haas comes in, he beats on Benoit, tags an angle, and so Angle is angrily stomping on Benoit. And then he gets him in a front headlock, probably saying, Man, I think I just broke my neck just now. How messed up is that? Like, what am I, oh man, this is tough. We're in a match. I can't just like stop having a broken neck. I think I think it's happening here. So uh, Benoit gets out. He gets a schoolboy cover, uh, roll up rather for two, a small package for two. A lot of repress for two. He's just doing a bunch of pins. And Angle stops the pin binge by hitting a German suplex and posing in Brock's direction there. And so Angle takes Angle tags out, and Haas and Benjamin get to do their, their leapfrog uh, back senton tag team move on Benoit while the ref is busy with Brock there. And so Lesnar finally gets the hot tag, and he hits belly-to-belly belly belly suplexes on Shelton and then Angle. 
Uh, and second one, the second one on Angle uh, sends Angle flying in the corner. He is he throws him more than halfway across the ring, which is crazy because he's like he's, if you imagine where the center of the ring is, he's like probably like I don't know like a meter closer to the uh, the, the turnbuckle in the corner. He just launches uh, launches Angle. It's crazy. Uh, and then uh, Haas comes after Benoit. Uh, sorry, Haas comes after Brock Lesnar, and so Brock goes after him. I don't even know what he does, but he pops him up in the air. Or he like he runs into him and, and Haas just like like flies into the air, lands in the turnbuckle, uh, and then he starts getting some shoulders to the gut, the favorite shoulders to the gut. Dan, you, you love you love to these. The gut, man. Well, Edge isn't there to do them anymore. So there you go. It's true. It's funny because we recorded an episode recently where you complained about shoulders to the gut, and then I was listening to the most recent release of the podcast where you also do that. So shoulders to the gut instead of spears was like a common thing that like really bugged you, which I, I found oh, that yeah. very hugely, man. Yeah. Painted my ass. So Angle sneaks up to hit an angle slam uh, on Brock. Brock reverses it. He gets Angle up for an F5. Uh, and he gets kicked and he drops Angle outside. Angle has a broken neck. Just pretty clear. And Shelton Benjamin flips Lesnar out and he goes out with him. And so Haas and Benoit are left in the ring. And so Benoit hits a German suplex. And then uh, uh, Kurt Angle comes in. And he and Benoit, they trade cross faces and, an- and ankle locks like they, like they usually do. Very fun sequence. It gets broken up by Team Angle, and Haas is left in the ring with Benoit. And so Benoit gets a crossface on Charlie. It almost gets broken up by Shelton Benjamin. Brock knocks him off. So Benoit's still got Charlie Haas in the crossface. Angle comes in. He's rushing in. He's got the WWE title belt. Brock intercepts him, too. He gets him up for an F5. And as he hits the F5, uh, Charlie Haas tops out at like more or less the same time, giving Benoit and Brock the win. They come out on top against uh, Team Angle. And it's a pretty great ending. I actually really enjoyed that. What yeah, really great ending. I, I, I was notably confused about, like, who were the legal men in the match. And so it paid off right. really well when that was kind of clarified for me. And we got this kind of double finish where, like, everyone's doing something cool at the end. I thought this match was really great. I, like, I put it up there for me. Like, I'd, I'd go back and watch this. Um, no problem. Especially for it losing a man. It, it's a really great match. Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it too. I definitely am uh, a fan of it, and I think I think I think you know, depending on how you feel with Dave Meltzer, he gave four stars back in the day. So it's not, oh. it's one that he's you know he has given yeah. uh, some credit to well, that. Well, so and of, and of course you, you you know you take the star rating and you put it on a curve for WWE, right? Yes. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, true. So it's like four stars is really five stars, and five stars is right. really four stars when you talk about WWE. That's right. Um, the metric bias yeah. there. Sure. And if the match took place in the Tokyo Dome, it would be five stars, of course, uh, as, as is law with Dave Meltzer. Um, but so I'm really liking this match, yes. how there's this cool like highlight where we get like a mini angle Benoit match um, that's really solid in the middle of the tag. Right? We get right. this nice little moment where they can just like look awesome. And I love when Benoit just goes to town on Team Angle. And right. it just looks so cool. So again, that, that's what we talked about, about like just feeling like i needed to praise <laughs> benoit's effort here because yeah because it's, it's so cool it's good stuff so team angle is pulling kurt up the ramp and brock poses with kurt's title belt on his shoulder yes. and kurt's yelling you son of a bitch brock and um he could just be actually mad for all we know considering the whole neck thing yeah i wondered that so yeah so we get to the uh another main event of the evening here right after triple h against scott steiner for the world heavyweight championship oh my gosh uh at max yeah, it's worth watching uh, no, no, 
Uh, it's shocking to me they they followed up uh, they followed up their match against Royal Rumble with another match. Like it just seems insane to me that they did that. They weren't like, you know what, that was a fiasco. Let's just forget about it. Um, so yeah, so before before the video package of the match happens, a coach says Steiner wants to accomplish his dream of winning the World Heavyweight Championship, but it's like. He's a multi-time world champion already, Scott Steiner. He won WCW. Maybe he wants to win a WWE world title, maybe? I don't know. I mean, like, he literally won the belt Triple H is holding. He had, like, the big gold belt is the one he used to hold. Right. So I don't know if we could say it's accomplishing his dream, because I think he did that. And so we see the video package here. Uh, Triple H is ducking Scott Steiner. He uh, Batista ends up being put in a match instead of Triple H against him. And at one point, Randy Orton runs out. And this forms Evolution. And how crazy is it that Evolution came out of this feud? It's like, this is such a wow. sad feud and evolution is like formed out of it it's like oh gosh okay uh we see also in the uh video package there uh scott steiner hit what they call a top rope fall away slam on uh chris jericho but just to be clear it's pretty much just an angle slam for the top rope um and so he beat chris jericho with that which was uh he was up to be the number one contender and so uh jericho did not become that i don't know why he was even considered for it at the time why not so steiner wins so he wins another shot at the world heavyweight championship here and uh, this is the match that gets the uh, Bring Me to Life uh, music video with it. So it's oh, very funny. Good. And it's like Evanescence and all this exciting stuff. And it's the one that's set to that. Um, so, yeah. the uh, It's also annoying because early on, the commentators are talking about how Scott Steiner, oh, good, he has a second chance uh, at the title. And it's like, well, he won by DQ last time when Triple H brought out the sledgehammer. Like, that's not Scott Steiner's fault. And on some level with wrestling, I, all, I believe – and I think it's a bit of an issue, but um, I feel like when you win by DQ in a title match, you should get a rematch. And if you need to, you should be in a rematch where the circumstances can't be repeated, like a steel cage or something. Like, I don't know why um, at this point you would be like, oh, he, like Scott Sutter should not have earned a match. Like he beat the champion. Um, you don't really have any control over whether or not a guy loses or beats you by disqualification. So anyway, it's dumb. Uh so, yes, this is a raw match. I usually skip the end of it. I had a per- perverse desire to watch this. Uh, and I, I, yeah. Anyway, so I'll go into a little bit more detail than usual. Uh, mostly the story here is the fans. And so they boost Scott Steiner lustily. Uh, oh, they, chant, they chant at Earl Hebner. They say, you screwed Brett. And they yeah. chant boring throughout as well. Um, oh. At one point, uh, Triple H is like having, a, a, once again, he has this little mini feud with Earl Hebner during the match. And he pushes Hebner over, and the crowd cheers because they, ha- they hate Earl Hebner. It's supposed to be this dastardly <laughs> heel move of beating up the referee. Uh, but they're like, yes, good. We, this guy sucks. Uh, and so that's good. And, and so Scott, uh, Scott Sutter hits his top rope fallaway slam, which, again, is like an angle slam. And uh, when he covers him, uh, Ric Flair pulls him out off of uh, – sorry. Ric Flair pulls him off of Triple H at two. But they're pretty far from the rope, so Triple H also has to kick out because he can't really get him there in time. So it's kind of an awkward positioning there, which is too bad. Okay. And then Flair frantically waves to the back and outrun, uh, outruns um, Randy Orton. Um, and so Randy Orton comes out. Steiner hits Orton. Batista comes out. He also gets hit. And then Orton gets thrown from the top rope. And um, it's annoying because the ref is just kind of waving at Steiner instead of disqualifying Triple H. But, like, these guys are coming in full view of the referee, and they're like, oh, here I am. Oh, here I am. And they're getting handled by Steiner. But, like... Center shouldn't have to compete with three guys and also have to try to beat Triple H fair. Like, that's stupid. <clears throat> so, Steiner, at one point, he tosses Orton onto Batista outside the ring. 
And uh, Hebner comes out. He, he comes out to eject Evolution. And when he does, he goes outside. And so he leaves Stott Steiner alone in the ring with Triple H, who hits him with the belt. And the ref goes back and then only gets two. But then Triple H gets up, hits the pedigree, and that's enough for the one, two, three. And Triple H leaves with Evolution, having cheated his way to victory. Wow. So yeah, I don't know what you would, uh, how, you, how you would take that one, but it, um, sound, it sounds uninspired. Yes. But like, it there's is. no way. Like, I I haven't seen the match. I don't know. But just like looking at Scott Steiner at that time, there's no way that I put the belt on him either. So it's kind of right. like, what do you do? Yeah, they didn't. They did not do a good job with him. I thought I thought there was some real uh, potential early on, and uh, whatever it was, it was squandered. So Eric Bischoff walks backstage. He's got his silly karate outfit on. Uh, he appears to be uh, walking by a, a raw locker room watch party. There's a little TV on the wall, and people are kind of talking to him there. The test wishes him good luck, and it's like, ha-ha, good luck, buddy. Well, wait, 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 question. Yeah. Because here's your no way out thing, right? Because it's like, theoretically, things should be set up by Royal Rumble for what's going to happen at Mania. Right. So the main event, uh, WrestleMania 19, for that belt is Booker T and Triple H. Yes. So, like, is that feud anywhere to be seen at this point? Or that uh, just kind of comes up in, like, a month or two? I believe it comes up this month where Booker T wins the number one contenders match. I mean, is Booker T even on the show? <laughs> How funny is that? Yeah. Not even on No Way Out. So, so that's very interesting. Yeah. That's um, that's not great. And so we see uh, we see a video package here for this match. And so we see uh, Vince is threatening Eric Bischoff, saying he's going to fire him if he doesn't fix Raw in 30 days. And fix so. Raw? He doesn't fix it. Like he's like, oh, Raw's bad, so you gotta fix Raw. <laughs> I know. I don't know. He doesn't. That, that's it, funny nowadays because right now we're in like a two-week streak of Raw being the worst it's ever, ever, ever been. Also, bring Eric Bischoff in to, to threaten him with that. And so Eric does not fix Raw, and he doesn't sign Steve Austin. They announced he was gonna return, but he didn't sign him. And so Vince, Vince fires him, and he says the next general manager is gonna come out. And then JR comes down to the ring, and he's like, Vince is like, you're not the next general manager. It's like, all right. But then uh, he's like, JR is like, I just talked to Steve Austin. He's going to be at No Way Out, guaranteed. He's going to he's gonna be there. And so Vince says, great, okay, great. Well, B- B- Bischoff will face Austin No Way Out, and he can still be general manager, but he's going to face Austin. And then we see uh, Bischoff did some karate stuff, and he beat up JR. He kicked a cinder block onto his head. And the story here is that JR and Austin are best friends, and so Austin is mad about this. Um, which is kind of like, I don't know, the idea that Austin and JR's best friend is kind of weird. It's like your best friends are like the assistant professor or something. Yeah, but, you know, those, those relationships happen. So, I mean, I can, I can believe it. But, yeah. That's weird. It's, it's weird, weird that Austin period is like, I, I have friends. As I believe he says, <laughs> don't trust anybody, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But, but he's he's lightened up at this point. I mean, he's he's been in a country band with Kurt Angle by this point. And, you know. Right. So uh, so Bischoff comes out. He gets on the mic. He's like, you don't want Austin to fight me, right? I, I, I'll, I'm even willing to just forfeit this match. That'd be fine. And as he's saying that, he's interrupted by the glass shattering, and Austin's music starts up, and the crowd goes completely crazy for Steve Austin. And uh, I'm already worried because Austin comes out, and he's not wearing his trunks. He's wearing jean shorts. And this is before jean shorts were uh, a main eventer's main uh, appearance <laughs> by John Cena's metrics here. So I was like, okay, he's in a weird he's in weird physical shape that he's not comfortable being in his tights. I don't know why that is. And so uh, Bishop gets on the mic. He's trying to reason with Austin. And Stone Cold just spears him. He beats on him. And he's kicking him in the corner. And the crowd is loudly chanting what with each kick. And the ref tries to stop Austin in the corner. Austin just turns and gives him the finger. Huge reaction. 
outside. Uh, Austin chops Bischoff. He gets these big woos from the crowd. I don't think of Austin as a big chopper of people, but he did it. And, uh, and then Austin grabs a fan's orange juice. He throws it on Bischoff's face, which is fun. I like when they like to you know grab stuff and they put like popcorn on people. I think it's funny. It's good. Uh, and then he tosses him into the crowd. And as Austin's getting in the ring, the crowd is starting to chant, Austin, Austin. And Steve seems to be enjoying himself. He's enjoying the reaction. I mean, it's getting an insane reaction here in Montreal, so I'm not surprised. And uh, so back in the ring, Stone Cold Stunner. Austin covers, but he lifts Bischoff's arm at two. And he gives another stunner, and he lifts the arm again. And he hits one more big stunner, and that finish it off, finishes it off. rather. And JR is standing at the announce table yelling, Stone Cold, Stone Cold, the Texas Rattlesnake is back! And he's just going completely bananas the whole time. He's just going like off the wall crazy about this. Like too, it's too much. Jerry's asking him to sit down. Like it comes yeah. back to Cole, and he's like, "So do you think Stone Cold's back?" Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Yes, exactly. They do make fun of him, which I'm so grateful for. Uh, and then after the match, uh, Austin hits another stunner. He leaves. He gets to the top of the ramp. He runs back to the ring to lift his arms again. And I think he just enjoyed himself. Yeah. So I was confused by that last run back because yeah. it was like. Why didn't he do anything? Like, what was the pr- like? So now he's conceded. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's just having a good time. I mean, I don't. I don't like. It would be like such a thrill for people to be like, I love Matt so much. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I would have a hard time not doing that too. And so next up we have Hogan Rock Two, a match that was majorly built up or at least talked about a lot. Uh, and then even now though, uh, for reasons we'll probably talk about here, it's not very well remembered. I forgot this match even existed. I did not so, know it existed. Yeah. So, like, the WrestleMania 18 encounter is yeah. coded as a WrestleMania classic. It yes, is 100%. a moment in wrestling history. It is in all of the different newsreels that WWE puts out. It is, like, cemented in their canon as what WWE wants you to think of when you think of WWE. Yes. And then you have the sequel match, which very much, even with them calling it, Hulk Hogan versus The Rock 2 with, like, the number two, like an old early 2000s or late 90s movie. Yes. And it makes all the mistakes as a mid-90s sequel did. It's just just awful. Like, it, it does not pay attention to its predecessor in any way. Right. It just ignores it and just cashes in on the name. Yeah, it tries to do tries to do something a little something different, right? Because Rock is the the heel here. Yeah. Uh, and so we see we start with the video package, and so we see what happened at WrestleMania 18. Rock beats Hogan, but we hear the commentators point out the fans are also pro Hogan during the match as well, which is useful. It's kind of the storyline here. And so we see Hogan comes back uh, in January. Vince makes this match, and we see Hogan and Rock arguing on SmackDown last week, which is the first time they were in person for this match. You might remember that. And Rock makes fun of Hogan, kind of teases that he wants to reconcile, and he spits in Hogan's face. And then we start, and we finally get the heel rock music with the helicopter over L.A. It's super long before the music starts in earnest. It's just delicious. And uh, <laughs> this is actually the, – the, they, they changed the song after this because uh, it has this very specific version where rock is like, if you smell, if you smell, look at yeah. the tongue, look at the tongue. Like it's this whole – like they take the, him being like as douchey as possible, and they put it in the song itself, which is this, – this, it's, it's an odd thing. It's not actually part of it usually. Um, weird remix. Yeah, but uh, if you hear the other remix, I encourage you to find it. I think both versions are actually on um, Apple Music and probably on Spotify. So if you can find that, the real good one, 
just the only thing you hear after kind of like the first like minute is just the rock saying is cooking and then it's like this kind of like kind of nice little doom 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 just a nice variation yeah and so rock comes out after his incredibly long entrance the crowd boos him they are booing him and the rock has this great f you guys face on like he's just like you know what i don't you know what yeah okay i expected this this is what you get yeah i'm here you're not gonna get and he's just like he's mouthing off the whole time it's great um there is a four-person tofu sign behind rock as he poses in the ring which rock said in a promo a few weeks ago so people latched on to tofu um so they made that one which is good <laughs> strap a rocket to that expression just yeah Hogan's reaction when he comes out, it's big, but it's over his fake music, so it's probably fake, which is the thing that's too bad. Like, we don't actually get to see what – how Hogan reacted or got the reaction at the time, which is too bad. Um, oh, okay. Well, I, I was assuming it was real because of his – his debut was just huge. Like, yeah. Like, thinking that it was – I think they probably tried to recreate it, but I don't think that they could in some ways. It's too bad. It, yeah. Very popular. Fan favorite, it sounded like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's definitely, like – he gets probably the biggest pop of the night. Maybe Austin does. I don't know. It's close, right? Right. Um, so Hogan posed a lot in the ring. People go crazy. And I noticed, hmm, that ref in the ring. He's that random new ref, ref from, from Heat who looks kind of familiar. That's so strange. Interesting. Yeah, so I didn't have the Heat advantage. But as soon as I the match started, I thought, who is that guy? He seems like he is getting the best deal for as a new referee. Right, yeah, exactly. yeah you, you, you get to referee The Rock and Hulk Hogan. But then Cole says something along the lines of, like, um, Montreal native such and such. So it was like, oh, so they just do those kind of favors for people? Like, right. if it's your hometown, <laughs> you get the referee, the main event? Like, right. But it all makes sense. It all makes sense. It's right. Uh, early on, uh, Michael Cole says that Rock has lost his home ice advantage. I don't really know what that means. Rock is not from Montreal. It's kind of a weird thing to say. And uh, Hogan sends Rock off the ropes early on They after locking up. And Rock swings out of the ring. He takes a breather. He looks around the crowd. And then uh, Hogan comes out. And they, tra- they trade punches. And then when they get back in the ring, uh, the Rock kicks Hogan as he's getting in. And so Hogan fights back. He counters Rock's head smash on the turnbuckle. And he hits Rock's head on it instead. And then uh, Rock drops Hogan neck first on the rope, gaining the advantage. And then he just hits a Rock bottom for two. Yeah, that was so weird. It was a Weak looking rock bottom, and when it only gets two, it's like, well, what, 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 like it just did not compute for me. As soon as that happened, I was like, oh, they had to cut time on this match for sure. Like this is, and this happens. This is something WWE can't get away from sometimes. Is that they'll have pay per views when the main event gets, loses, you know, two, three, four, five minutes, and you have WrestleManias where I don't remember which one it is, and uh, don't worry about it, but the. Uh, the Ray Orton angle main event is short. It's short because everything else went long and they couldn't do it longer because they had the satellite feeds. That's how the whole, the whole thing works. So when that happened, I was like, Oh, they had to cut five minutes for this match for some reason, which is too bad. Cause like of all the matches you want to cut, you don't want to do that. Right. You want to give extra time. You want to have space left over. Um, and now with the network though, <laughs> and, well, Peacock, no, Peacock wouldn't change things, but with the streaming right. service, now they can do whatever they want, which is kind of nice. Exactly. Bad for us as the audience, because we have to put up with like five hour pay-per-views. But. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of that at all, but um, that's how it goes. So uh, Ro- Hogan's bandana has fallen off, and so Hogan, uh, Rock grabs it. This he was puts fun. it on. I, I, yeah. I, I like this. I thought that was great. So he's wearing the bandana the whole time. and uh, Or not for the whole time, but for an extended period of time here, he grabs Hogan's weight belt from him as well. He starts whipping him with the belt. 
So why is this allowed? That's so weird I, to me. I know. No, no, this is this is fair. I've heard it explained. Where it's like, well, he's wearing it. So if you wear it in the match, you can use it. That's stupid. Fair he's enough. Wearing, someone's wearing the belt to the ring. Yeah, well, he <laughs> takes it off where he starts it. He, they, they, rel- they relinquish it to the referee. So, okay. So I, I can take off my opponent's boot and start beating them senseless with it. And that's legal. Right. <clears throat> that is where we immediately run into problems. Because I'm, sh- I'm actually certain that's not the case. But it should be by those rules. It should 100% be legal. So, yeah, uh, this is where I was like, what? Because they accentuate their own problem, right? So, like, I could forgive this. But then all of a sudden they do kind of like a weird thing with a uh, Yeah. Yes, they do. A very weird thing with a chair. Hogan can hit the rock on the outside of the ring with the chair. But then he cannot do that inside the ring. It's like, yeah. Hulk, okay, so Rock should have been disqualified, and then Hulk Hogan should have been disqualified before we even got to the finish. I think that's fair. No, you're right. Um, so Rock, so he's yeah, he's whipping Hogan. He asks for a bottle of water. He drinks it, and then Hogan gets up. He smacks Rock, and he grabs the belt. And he whips Rock with it there. So that's also disqualification in theory there. Yeah. Uh, Rock gets uh, he counters an Irish with the DDT, uh, and he puts on a, a sharpshooter. Hogan gets to the ropes. So Rock has to break, but he just drags him out away from the ropes. That is one one thing in wrestling I can't abide. If your guy gets to the ropes, you have to release the hold. You can't drag him away. It's a rope break. You have to break. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. See, so I kind of like that because it makes me go, oh! Yeah. And, I, and every time it happens, I go, disqualify him. He didn't let go. <laughs> and so uh, the referee starts to drop, lift Hogan's arm to the hole. If it drops three times, he's out sort of thing. Love it. Yeah. Uh, Hogan, of course, lifts his arm the third time because that's what Raise happens. His finger. He waves his finger, right? And then he does something stupid, which is he powers out of the sharpshooter. So he just kind of releases it, and like he uses his legs, I guess. And Rocco's flying to the outside, which is just a ridiculous concept. <laughs> but he's hulking up, man. He can't handle it. The idea that you would like you you would suddenly become so strong in your legs that like you fling the guy and he has to fly over away is so so crazy. Oh, yeah. yeah. So Rocket's a clothesline on Hogan on the outside. He taunts the crowd. He grabs a chair. He swings at Hogan. He hits the post. And so Hogan grabs a chair, and he just hits Rock, just like you said, Daniel. Exactly. And uh, Michael Cole points out to the – he's like, oh, the ref is just letting us go. Okay, interesting. And then, exactly you said, back in the ring, Hogan raises the chair over his head to hit Rock. This time the ref grabs it takes it away, allowing the Rock to get a low blow on Hogan without the ref seeing. So we're like, okay, this is weird. Uh, there's, this, there's a weird rules going on here for some reason. Um, you're either fine with the chair or you're not fine with the chair. I mean, that's just those are the those are the rules, man. And so Rock gets a spine buster. He gets a people's elbow. He then he pops up. He does another one, and before he drops the elbow, he does a little Hogan flex pose. Yes, which is very fun. And that gets two because Hogan starts to hulk up. And he tosses the Rock off of his uh, when he goes to cover him there. He tosses him off, and he starts no selling Rock's punches. Yeah. So the fact that Hulk Hogan is so durable. To rock bottoms and people's elbows is mm-hmm. astonishing to me. <laughs> like, he just takes him. No big deal. This, this makes no sense. Uh, so Hogan, uh, he points the finger at Rocky, wags the finger, hits three punches. He gets the big boot. He cups his hand to his ear to the crowd, and then he goes and he drops the legs on Rock. One, two, the lights go out. Of course they light, do. I thought light, this was only a one in a million chance, Matt. What, what I know. Happened? Well, they came out. Uh, Stephanie's not there. She should have. She should have been around to make sure that the uh, everything was fine with the lighting board. And so when the lights come back on, 
Rock is down. The ref is down. There's a chair in the corner, which wasn't there before, even though there's a chair in the match. It was in the corner. And Hogan is standing up. and He's really confused. And then Vince McMahon walks out to no music. And uh, when, he, when he walks down, he's looking around and acting shocked and confused. He's kind of like, what happened here? This is crazy. That this happened. Like, oh, it must have been you who did it kind of thing. And uh, Hogan notices him. And he starts to do this, this Hulk Hogan thing. It's such a Hulk Hogan thing to be like, he starts miming to Vince like, you must have turned off the lights. I saw you. Like, he's like, you did it. Bro. And he's like, he's, he's, he's moving his arms to be like, that's what you did. Like, you changed it. You did that. Oh, my gosh. This is you. And then this unconscious ref who's in the ring he slides Rock the chair. So we have a referee, a referee at Vince's behest screwing somebody over in Montreal. Oh. Rock hits Hogan with the chair. Uh, he turns around. When, sorry, he hits him with the chair when Hogan turns around after arguing with Vince. And so Hogan starts to bleed. Rock gets him up again, hits a rock bottom, and the ref suddenly comes to to count one, two, He pops three. right up, man. Oh, yeah. So Rock wins. So Vince comes in, he raises Rock's arm, and he raises the referee's arm. And the referee is Sylvain Grenier, uh, who you will you may know as a guy who becomes a wrestler. This is where he debuted as a as Vince's sketchy ref at No Way Out 2003. Uh, and so the he, three, he looks good. He looks good as a wrestler. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, so the three of them go. They go to leave, but then Vince goes. You know what? You guys, you guys go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back in. And the Rock's like, you sure? You sure? You okay? You okay? Okay. Yeah. Fine. Okay. And so Vince rips off his jacket. He stands over Hogan. Hogan tries to get up, but he falls over. And so Vince rips off his dress shirt to reveal that he has a custom anti-Hogan T-shirt on. And so over the what you're going to do text, there's a big nothing written over in it. And on the back, it says brother. And underneath brother, it says sucks, uh, which Cole calls out. He's explaining the whole thing. I assume they sold some of these for some reason. Just because Cole is talking about it in such a way that you're like, you must have thought you could make any amount of money from this, please. Oh, interesting. And so Vince rips the shirt that he's wearing. He shows off just how jacked he is because he's he's old guy, but he's like still in amazing shape. Uh, yeah, and th- and this impressed me still, you know. Yeah, well, day, I'm impressed by how this man, the owner of a company, can like stand with his employees uh, as wrestlers and like stand in that mix and like fit in and be a bigger draw on the card than some of. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just it, is that he could, he could surpasses them in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, and so Hogan stares at Vince angrily. He's bleeding. And Vince flexes on the ramp as the satellites turn off and we go off the air. And we put a pin on No Way Out 2003. And so... Great finish to the night. Yeah. I mean, I conflicted about the finish for me because... It's another thing being like, you know what? You should have saved your money for next month because this is this whole Rock Hogan thing. It was just a Trojan horse for the Vince Hogan thing, which is what it's going to become, which is like interesting. They would do that. Um, so it's a lot of it's a lot of yeah. money to throw away. Right. Because like, yeah, arguably they could have made Hulk Hogan Rock to. WrestleMania worthy and sold a lot more money. Very good. Very good point. Like very worth asking whether they should have done that, I think. Right. Um, so Daniel, I want to get your thoughts on the night in general, the whole the whole thing. And uh, you know, on the SmackDown Six podcast, we I, we asked my my asked my my co-host to rate the show, um, especially if it's if it's bad, if it's like eh, or if it's good. And so it's here comes the pain is that these are sorry these are named after the SmackDown video game series titles. And so here comes the pain, which was a good game, but is a title that sounds like bad. Uh, so that would be bad. Shut your mouth, you wouldn't tell anybody about it. Just bring in is like yeah, this would be good. 
And so, Daniel, I'm wondering what you thought of the night and if you would give it a Here Comes the Pain, a Shut Your Mouth, or a Just Bring It. Yeah, so I'm giving this one a Just Bring It. Not okay. necessarily because of the quality of the matches. I think the Team Angle versus Lesnar and Benoit is standout, really awesome, worth checking out on its own. So people right. listening, just check that match out. It's really great. There we go. But I think this pay-per-view just has enough interesting stuff going on. Just like as kind of a uh, artifact of history, it's worth checking out. Like there's just a lot of there's a lot of potential in this pay-per-view that was left unrealized. And so it's yes. really neat to just watch it and be like, oh, how did they get all this wrong? You know, right. like from even what you were describing, because I didn't watch the raw stuff, but when you were right. describing Triple H and Scott Steiner, like it's like, how do they mess that up? And then right. Rock Hogan, how do you mess that up? Like, how? And they do, you know, it's like, yeah. It's not that it's not that the match was awful, but you just got these really like weak rock bottoms, weird pacing. They're kicking off stuff. They're not. And the whole thing about WrestleMania 18 was that the whole story arc there was you have a face turn mm-hmm. for yeah. Hulk, but Rock retains his face identity, and then you have this really just sort of like moment of reconciliation and peace and like this kind of like. I would love to face you again in the same spirit of right. like brotherhood and competition, right? So in, instead of doing that, they opted to switch the roles and have Rock be full-blown jerky heel, like not even likable heel, like just like kind of like, ugh. Right. And then Hogan as the face. But it's like that wasn't the narrative. Like the logical right. narrative of the sequel for this is that they now meet face v face. Yeah, like I mean, I can test of like who is better. That. Yeah, because like that's how WrestleMania team finishes is like Hulk Hogan was turned, and now we can move on. And if we want to face without shenanigans and things like this, we can. Right. So that would have been a great WrestleMania 19. But. Yeah, interesting. It is. Yeah, I mean, I guess if, if they had Rock, uh, Rock Austin in their mind, I could see why they'd be like, oh, we we, we won't do Hogan then. I guess that makes sense. And they could have done Hogan Austin, a match they never did, which is crazy. Uh, to think about that it seems like one they left on the table would be like do you well, want to well Austin was really mad they never got that yeah it's it's crazy they didn't do that um yeah I I'm less I think I agree with you on a lot of things like with it being a real curiosity that's worth checking out um I still call this a, a shut your mouth though um because I'm annoyed by how that. much of it is by like is like hey buy Wrestlemania like do that because I'm like okay like I like the two on three handicap match it's still weird to me that the uh champion did not defend his title on pay-per-view um I just feel like if you're like you're kind of classically in wrestling, if you're champion, you have to defend every like month, and he just didn't do that. Um, the last two matches are mostly like angles, right? Like it's also so, and there's nothing really long match wise. Like I really wish that that two or three, uh, two out of uh, sorry, two against three tag match was uh, was like 25, 30 minutes. I think they could have been even even more special match there too. So because it feels like such a pure like, hey, just buy WrestleMania thing, it's like come on, you're not making it feel essential. So for that, I want to say to uh, the people at WWE at the time, uh, shut your mouth. Because that's how I feel about it. Um, so yeah, so next week's show that we're covering on the podcast is the February 25th, 2003 episode of SmackDown. The fallout from No Way Out uh, will will happen on that show. And the road to WrestleMania continues in earnest as the next pay-per-view will be WrestleMania. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for being with me this week, buddy. I'm so glad I could open up uh, No Way Out with you. Oh, man, I am so grateful. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for letting me see things that I will never unsee. I'm so glad I can be I can do that for you. That's great. Uh, and so, oh, look, I just, you know, I just want to tell everybody, you know, I'm so glad you're listening. Share this with a friend if you can. And, oh, I see there's a, a referee in the corner who's sliding me a chair. Uh, let me just look at Daniel and consider what I want to do with that. Um, you know what? I'll think about it. Uh, and until then, uh, you may think there's no way out of the podcast, but there is because it's ending right now. <laughs> <laughs>